Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I hope you're all safe and well. And I imagine a lot of you, if you're listening to this, when this first comes out, are in quarantine of some kind. Uh, Pretty important for the world right now for us to all do the best we can to um, make sure that as fewer people as possible get sick. So um, I, I won't you know, tell you what you're meant to be doing because, you know, we are living in a world at the moment where um, when I record this, it's actually just a week from when I was still doing shows, you know, in a tent at the Adelaide Fringe, hundreds of people, you know, in a tent together and it seems like just in the last week the world has changed incredibly. Um, I have no shows to plug uh, because my entire tour, what I was going to be doing with my year has been completely cancelled. So I'm uh, unemployed for the first time in uh, 22 or 23 years, uh, which is, um, you know, interesting in of itself. Um, I guess I'm now a professional podcaster. So uh, there you go. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Um, uh, my my main concern, of course, you know, like everybody's, is uh, with the safety of people and the safety of lives. And I think that's just got to be paramount above everything else at the moment. And then we'll we'll work out the rest of it and you know I'm very grateful and lucky that um you know that while like a lot of people this is going to mean some weird and hard and unusual times for me you know I'm in a much better position in my life to be able to handle that and to you know bounce back from that and rebuild eventually when we have the opportunity to do that then you know some people will be whose industries won't exist whose jobs won't exist um, so, you know, my thoughts are with those people at the moment and I think, you know, that's the, uh, where everybody's thoughts need to be, you know, with the, the, uh, people in society who have the least capacity to survive these things. We all need to work together and we all need to sacrifice and we all need to understand that, you know, um, you know, there might be a while where we're all going to lose a bit out of this, um, but we can do something to mitigate the loss of life and, um, uh, by, you know, just following the best advice, uh, whatever that might be when you're listening to this and, uh, you know, working on behalf of each other. And I guess if we want to look for, you know, something positive and it's going to be a long way before people are going to be able to be positive about or being able to look at the um, glass half full view of what we're going through right now is um, that it might really make us look at our lives a little and say, hey, I think we've been living wrong and I think the systems that we have in place are are not good systems to have in place in case of emergency. And I've been thinking about that a lot in relation to society. I've been thinking about that in re- a lot in relation to uh, my own industry and, you know, the safety nets that we have in place in our industry. And, you know, for um, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival to be cancelled, uh, That's this will be the first time in 25 years that I haven't been doing a show in April at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And the, I never thought the reason I would stop doing a show there one year is because... Uh, you know the the entire festival had been cancelled you know it's my favorite thing in the entire world the Melbourne International Comedy Festival it's a a month of all these independent artists putting on their own shows you know doing 20 22 shows um, you know doing their hour you know living their dreams putting their passion and their mind and their money and their energy into bringing laughter into the world what a wonderful job um you know, I have been grateful to be able to pursue in my life being a stand-up comedian. And I think about that even more so now that for a while, all the stand-up comedians in the world 
can't do their jobs and i never imagined i just you don't really think about it right that my you know my parents are dairy farmers and you know i guess what i'm going through now and what the world's going through now is the equivalent of you know a drought or a flood or something that they have to deal with that is beyond their control um my industry you don't really think about that you know like yeah you know like i've done gigs when i've been you know pretty sick myself but the show must go on um and this is one of those instances where the show is not going on so anyway i i I, my my immediate thoughts are with those on the front line the first responders the people in the front lines of the the supermarkets and the essential services and the doctors and the nurses and all those people who are doing such an incredible job during these incredibly testing times and um you know putting aside their own individual fears about what's happening in the world and what's happening you know to families outside so um yes first and foremost i think we just need to do everything we we can do to come together um i i like to imagine that the people who listen to this podcast um you know because of the conversations that we have on this podcast because of the ideas that are bounced around on this podcast and the overall perspective of what it's really about which is you know, talking to people about what they think life is about and what gives their life meaning that the people who listen to this podcast might also be the sort of people who understand that we will achieve more going forward, whatever the world looks like, if we work together rather than work against each other. And even if that's as simple as only shopping for the amount of stuff you actually need so that there is still stuff left for other people rather than getting more than you need, um, then those are the sort of things that we can do if it is just being responsible around social distance and not putting other people at risk then then these are the things that we can do and we are a community and right now we're in a fair bit of trouble so um we need to work together to look after those who are less fortunate than us and to look after each other so i don't want to get too preachy about it but it's hard to it's hard to actually think about anything else at the moment isn't it um so uh no new episodes of philosophy uh no uh, being recorded episodes because i like to do them face to face so um that's always been the rule of the podcast that i do them face to face and we have a few up our sleeve at the moment so i'm actually presenting you a pre-coronavirus era of the world so these are conversations we were having before the world changed and today's guest oh man I really enjoyed this. Um, I've known this guy on and off for nearly a decade, I would say, you know, online, uh, through the internet. We've um, talked on social media. I I believe we have actually met once previously in Edinburgh, but that was like a very long time ago. And then uh, we were actually doing breakfast radio um, on competing shows, well, shows that were in, you know, on at the same time. So you never really got to you know see the people who were doing the thing at the exact time same time as you do the thing but we had always kept in contact and uh, it was an absolute delight to actually uh, sit down with him in, in person and share stories and have a laugh and we sort of immediately had a bond to that point where you know I'm having a, a great deal of fun with him which is something that you know often I will have with people that I know well but to be talking to somebody for the first time and then get to that level where we were just having a a really brilliant time but also a lot of brilliant insights about moving to a new country i haven't even mentioned who it is christian o'connell you know that anyway you've downloaded the podcast his name's on it there's a picture of him but uh christian o'connell he was a huge uk radio star and then he came out to australia to start again which i 
also dig. You know, people who follow me and uh, know the things that I'm interested in. The idea of somebody taking a massive risk and going to somewhere else and starting again is something that really does appeal to me. Something that I have done, you know, previously in my life. And uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed this chat with Christian O'Connell. So if you enjoyed it, um, this is now my major income. So if <laughs> you have any money left over, and here's what I imagine right now is probably a lot of people don't. Uh, so firstly, what I would say is use the money on the things that it's important to use the money on. If you are a person who does not have to worry about uh, money and stuff at the moment and you have a limited amount of money to be able to donate, if you have a young comedian or a young performer who makes something that you love, support them. I'll get through this. I'll be fine, you know, but support them first and foremost. But if after all that you, you like this podcast and you have always thought of, uh, you know, perhaps you've always wanted to be a Patreon supporter, but you're like, oh, well, you know, I'll do it when he needs it. Now would be a good time. So if you want to join up to the Patreon, it is patreon.com slash willosophy. That's will with one L. Okay. Um, I think that's it. Hey, a big shout out to James Fosdyke who does all the original art for um, philosophy and obviously your money that comes in uh, make sure that at least I can still keep paying James to do the art and I can keep paying uh, podcast Mike uh, the producer of this podcast Michael Liberale who does also known as Radio Mike uh, but I like to call him Podcast Mike and he is absolutely brilliant um, uh, just a, a really fantastic uh, young man and it's a real pleasure to have him as part of this podcast also. So uh, there you go. Thank you very much for listening. If you like the podcast, share it around, rate it, do all those sort of things. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy this episode with Christian O'Connell. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, this one is actually a long time coming. I've been considering this guest for the podcast for ages, but considering that we've also been trying to have an avocado on toast together for about two years, <laughs> the, the podcast has really taken some time. In fact, we probably should have done this over some eggs on toast to finally do it. But this is how the podcast starts. Uh, who are you? I'm Christian O'Connell. Uh, hello, Christian O'Connell. Hello, Will. It feels like then, if you've been assessing me, I've been in Australia now almost two years, that it's been a really long audition process to get a, a gig on this show. Oh, sometimes that's how it happens, though, because yep. there is no official formal infrastructure to this show. <laughs> I so realise that. <laughs> normally it's just... <laughs> well, if, if it was a TV be, show, there'd be yeah. a green room. So far, I've come in and you've uh, you had to feed the dogs yeah. and then you had to put some uh, food and a Kong for them. Yep. Then you made yourself a coffee. Yeah. Then we slowly got ready to do this. So it's taken 20 minutes just to sit down. Well, I mean, we had to have a gas bag as well. Up yes, there. and gossip, which is what yeah. people who work in our industry, it's one of our favourite things to do. Yes, there was some radio industry gossip yeah. that we needed to exchange before yeah. we turned on the microphone. Yeah, now we're cleansed. We've got rid of that filth from us we've yeah. had a kind of a, a karmic shower and now we're ready to do this but thanks for having me on this is a this is a i'm a genuinely a fan of your work and what you do stand up and the podcast i've, I've seen the different what the, the different ones you do with obviously with charlie and and the uh, the footy one as well but this form i feel like you've really grown into it and you really enjoy it i've relaxed into it yeah so at the start when i started it i'm not even sure necessarily why i started it you know how sometimes yeah. you've got a sense 
that you want to do something but you haven't had the chance to really formulate in your mind yeah but that's the best way because sometimes we shouldn't know because if we know exactly why we're doing something it's not the right thing to do and then so but then i stopped for a while because i I would battle because it was very hard to do because mostly it would just be me organizing it and you have to kind of run into someone and then ask them for a couple of hours of their time to you know have a serious and also every, everyone these days has got a podcast right? right i'm about to launch one which i want you to come on everyone's got a podcast people like you and i constantly being asked to go on podcasts i dread bumping into some people sometimes or comedians and they come up to me like, oh no it's a podcast invite it's become the new wedding invite in our industry i mean and particularly because i have four podcasts <laughs> I, four weddings no, nobody wants to see me anymore i'm some sort Shit, of Will's coming. woman who can have as many podcasts as he like i'm living in a desert community shut off from the rest of the society you can't tell me how many podcasts i can have so if you go i can't do that one i've got three more which one do you how want do you to feel do about footy <laughs> so um so early on i was also very conflicted by it because i it, it suddenly became more successful than my other podcast, which was my main love. So Tofop was, you know, Charlie and I started it a decade ago now before podcast. It was already a thing. But yeah, it was it like an indie band kind of yeah. thing. The, the stage is then a podcast thing. There were a couple of people doing well, but it was more just a sort of garage band thing. Exactly. And, you know, the equipment was hard to use. Yeah. And, and you were yeah. jamming together. Exactly. Yeah. And so we've been doing that for 10 years. It's like before you got signed up by one of the major labels. Mm. And it turns out that um, our side project, our side projects have become much more successful than our than our jam band that we've had this dream of, you know, being the main thing. So then I had to, and funnily enough, and by the way, this will get to being all about you, but you've you've come in in classic interviewer style and and turned the tables. Sorry, on I just realised that because I think I'm so used to that, and I actually yeah. feel a bit more comfortable with that as well. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Oh shit. We'll turn the tables. Oh, but um, uh, seeing you asked. Um, I then had to do a little life assessment because I was angry at people who liked this podcast who didn't listen to my other podcasts. Right, now, okay. I had to actually have a real think about that and where that was coming from and what that meant yeah. and realise it's totally fine if somebody loves the footy podcast and doesn't listen to anything else or watch my stand-up or watch my TV show. It is absolutely fine for me for those things to be appreciated for what they are where they are and if you like one and you don't like mm, another one it's interesting isn't it maybe they like this that. version of you and what you show in this way yeah and i think that's what i was offended by <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah because totally. from the audience you want to be liked on like, your own terms yeah we like yeah. you like this yeah and i was like but this isn't all of me this is just a specific part of me and in, yeah. in some ways i felt like tofop was much more all of what I'm like. And so therefore, yeah. by more people saying, we like this version of you, which is furthest away from mm. what you're... So they're judging like. certain parts of you and going, I don't like that, I don't yeah. like that, but I really like that bit. Have you seen that Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix? I've seen about two thirds of it, yeah. The last third, I was just trying to do my equations, I'm not very good at maths. I was about to say the last half, but doesn't work with your third. The last third is the most interesting bit. Yeah. She starts talking about what well, it's like to change. I didn't technically say which two thirds of it I'd seen. I may have. Well, I would traditionally think the linear format yeah. to enjoy anything isn't to yeah. go in yeah. uh, and miss the first third unless yeah. I had a really long Game of Thrones intro. But you haven't taken into account that perhaps my girlfriend was watching it and I came in a third into it and watched the rest of it. <laughs> Rude of me. I'd like to apologise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. 
So did you see the last bit? Because she starts talking about how the audience, yeah. her audience, you can imagine, are very fervent, and there's millions of them, uh, how much they want to change, but not too much. Mm. They want to like how you're changing, and you can't change too much. And I thought it was really, really interesting, that pressure of what it is for an artist, especially on her mega level, what that must do to... Because sometimes your soul needs you to change, and the unhappiness, even though you're doing something which is so joy-filled for other people it starts to become you almost don't like that caricature you've grown into the outfit doesn't fit anymore yeah i think there's partly that and i think you know you would understand this you know is that like your work is an expression of you but it's not totally you and so yeah but sometimes there are plenty of us who do make that mistake or become their kind of persona and get lost in it mm. yeah so mine was split very much into various different projects so i wrestled with this one for a really long time and but now I've really embraced it. We decided last year to do it. You know they, th those things about you know, forming a habit. You know, yes. do it regularly and see if you actually. Yeah. It becomes. So we set ourselves the task of going a year. You know, and doing an episode every week. We Jeez. just thought, if, could we do an episode of this every single week for a year and see how that went? And as it turns out, doing it regularly, like you know, there was the end up being a lot of momentum behind the podcast. Yeah. The audience really. Do you find you know, it therapeutic? I I still find it difficult to do, but mm. now I enjoy the difficulty of it. Yeah. Like I, I enjoy leaning into whatever it is. In the same way as we've started talking about this today, I'm much less pre less precious about the fact that I should be asking you right now whether you have a philosophy because yeah. I'm like, we'll get to that, but I'm enjoying this conversation we're having right Yeah, you go. And, and I think the best... The best uh, uh, I don't like the phrase interview, but I, th I think the best interviews are when it goes out of interview mode and you get into conversation mode. Because actually when you have those best conversations with your friends, that's what's really great about a, uh, about a conversation is you're not in interview mode. And I can't, I've cut back on my radio shows about the number of people I interview now because I realize it's not really giving the audience anything. You're just wasting half an hour of radio. So if I do get someone on the show, it's someone I know will not come in on interview mode, even though they might have something to plug, but they're more interested in having a conversation. And I think that's a more, it's a more, hopefully more interesting and entertaining way for them to plug whatever they're plugging. And I think that's why podcasting's become so big and why long form interviews like yours and Mark Maron is because actually they're really revealing and they show a vulnerability that you don't get on the TV chat show we got seven or eight minutes tell that funny anecdote I often think that you can get more out of talking to somebody about what sort of sandwich they were just eating mm. than you can getting them to recite an anecdote about their life that they have 20 times before yeah totally you yeah. know and I so would you do you have an interviewing philosophy I mean you've kind of described it there anyway but do you have an idea about what it is you're trying to achieve on the radio when you're interviewing someone no the, the, the most important thing now because I've been doing radio for about almost 22 years and made a lot of mistakes and that's the only way you learn was by actually uh, the most important thing for me is to stop trying to control or force an interview ditch writing down any questions beforehand I'll have a, a rough idea I might ask about that might ask about that but I'm not going to write anything down and I might do a tiny bit of research but not that much but the most important thing is to be fully present in whatever comes up so I remember a couple of years ago Liam Gallagher formerly of Oasis was coming in and someone said, oh, he's in a really bad mood. He's in reception. So straight away, stop. Unusual for Liam Gallagher. Yeah, I know, such an easygoing guy. <laughs> Brilliant family member. Yeah, exactly. um, Next in line to be Dalai Lama, I believe. Yeah. There you go. And uh, I was starting to feel tense. Like, oh, God, I don't need this. It was like on a Friday and I was tired. And, and I, was making, uh, I was making myself a herbal tea. Then when he walked in, 
the interview hadn't started. He asked what I was drinking. I thought, oh, he's going to really rip into me because I was having a turmeric latte. Uh-huh. Because you remember when turmeric became this new fad thing? And I am Mr. Fad. And I was like, this is, if I drink turmeric, I'm going to be more productive and a real superhuman being. Turmeric is what, the lack of turmeric is what's been holding me back yeah. in my life. Had you looked into any of the actual benefits yes. of turmeric or were you just hearing that turmeric no. was the thing that... No, I'd read up on it. Yeah. yeah what yeah. was it in particular that you thought it was going to be helpful? Anti-inflammatory. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't everything now anti-inflammatory? <laughs> my, all my problems come from being too inflamed. That's what it is. Yeah. I don't want to be inflamed anymore in my life. Exactly. Yeah, the the uh, the prospect of living an anti-inflammatory life was just so uh, uh, attractive. Mm. And so I, I thought, should I tell him or just lie and say it's coffee? And I thought, mm. oh, I said, oh, it's a turmeric latte. And then he went off for 10 minutes about how great turmeric was for you. Oh, yeah. And anti-inflammatory. Yes, no, yes. No word of a lie. He actually volunteered the phrase anti-inflammatory because get this, Liam Gallagher had psoriasis. So straight away, right? Yeah. I'm going, oh this 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 is it then. We're into it. Good. And yeah. we do ten minutes, he starts talking about how he got it for his mum as well. And how it's been great for <laughs> as a Christmas present. It's so hard sometimes to know what to get somebody. Mum, I've got your psoriasis. <laughs> never never really been scratching your legs constantly. I've got your psoriasis for Christmas. Surprise. <laughs> what do you get for the woman who's got everything? Psoriasis. I got a psoriasis. <laughs> So he was saying how he got it for his, for his for his mom and how much it benefited him and her and it cleared up his psoriasis. So straight away, he's not in interview mode. And then we just started talking about about music. And I was asking if he had anything good recently. He said he gets all of his new music from his kids. And then we started talking about that. And so that felt. Then we were just into a different area and like any it, it, it starts to get a bit rambly. But the rambly stuff is the better stuff. It's getting lost there. It's like with your mates in the pub. Right. When you get into those areas, that's that's the real sweet spot of life, isn't it? Even hearing somebody like that get a little rambly and lost for yeah. words is, I think, interesting in itself. That moment you see somebody just clock straight back into, yeah. I'm going to answer these questions in the same way as I answer this question every time it comes up. Yeah, it becomes robotic. about his brother or if I was yeah. going to get back together and yeah. then he just snaps back into... No, what, what can he say? He's been yeah. asked it a billion times. It's like, if you can, the best you can do is get some kind of little raw glimpse of or near to a human moment in those encounters. Mm. Funny, interesting, sad or otherwise. That's great. Also, it gives you just a whole new uh, look at why, you know, he might have been so grumpy for all those psoriasis things. I mean if you are touring with the pain and itch of psoriasis like and perhaps inflammation in his joints he's yes, getting exactly. off planes he's, he's flying from he's going to take it out on those nearest to him which is his brother Noel exactly that's what split the band up it's not all the cocaine it's psoriasis it was, maybe that's why he was taking the coke cocaine it was not enough turmeric people thought he had a coke problem it was yeah. just turns out it was just dandruff and right. psoriasis flakes it wasn't the white stuff it was a different kind of white stuff um, so, are you still in the turmeric? No, no. I'm on a new one now. What happened? What happened to the turmeric though? Because wasn't it? The I still felt very inflamed. I still felt very yeah. inflamed. Now I went to uh, what am I to now? This kind of uh, reishi mushroom. Oh yeah, latte. And what's that good for? Uh, anti-inflammatory. <laughs> <laughs> My whole uh, rest of my life's journey is searching for anti-inflammatory cures. On my deathbed, I hope to finally be uh, sipping a tea that finally gives me peace from anti-inflammatory. You ever been to the doctor and just got some anti-inflammatory? No. No. Dear God, no. Why would I do that? Western medicine. Um, 
The, apparently the Reiki mushroom, is that what it's called? The Reiki mushroom? No, it's not Reiki. That's uh, like an energy healing. Reishi mushroom. Reishi mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> the Reishi mushroom. <laughs> I'm now going to send you some, okay? So I think your life's going to change so with these Reishi thought, mushrooms. I was uh, doing gigs up on the northern rivers of New South Wales, which is known as a, you know, we were near Mullumbimby, which is known very much as a... That's where I got this uh, yeah, stuff from. I, I, was staying in Bi- <laughs> I was staying in Byron Bay, so I was in that area. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So Someone told me, some good herbs i'm talking to the front row and it's all you know like yoga teachers and you know ayahuasca dealers yeah. and whatever and one of the guys sold chinese herbs and i asked him what the most popular chinese herb they sold and he told me it was the the reishi mushroom <laughs> no, no, i feel like an idiot the, the some wide-eyed english guy yeah here he comes here he comes he reeks of turmeric latte sold him a lot of kale <laughs> last year so don't worry he'll He'll love this. <laughs> He's still got a box of goji berries out the back of his house. First bumps on me. <laughs> um, so, uh, so when it comes to health and things that you pursue like that, so you're clearly trying all these things. Yeah. Um, are you a healthy person in general? Are you a person who cares for your health or are you looking for some sort of miracle cure? No, I, I do try to because, you know, I get up early in the morning and... You know, uh, and so I'm always trying to find ways where I can be a bit healthier because I've been doing it for a long time. It People are always fascinated. What what time do you get up? Uh, it's uh, 12 minutes past four. 12 minutes past four. Every single minute that I could be in that bed, I've worked out, uh, Will, to the finest minute how long I can be in that bed. It's 12 minutes the, past I, four. I mean, maybe I'm more curious about this than others. No, people I, always I, ask me. Yeah. Even when guests come in, yeah. everyone I've ever interviewed, they're always, even big stars, really famous A-listers. Even Adam Sandler once came in and I was so excited to meet him. We sat down and he goes, by the way, what time do you get up? Yeah. Yeah, people just, I don't know why, like it's some kind of superpower to actually just wake up when alarm goes off and it's time to go to work. Well, I mean, they always ask you what time you get up or what time you have to get in. Yeah. They rarely ask you the more important question is what time do you go home? Hey, that's the no, they no, That's a sad truth in that. <laughs> you know, it's fine to get to work at Ruin time the, the illusion. You're home at 9.30. You're not... doing a 12-hour shift on the factory floor. There, the cold face of showbiz. Um, but what's your schedule? Like, do you shower? Do you eat breakfast? Do you no, have no. coffee? What, Will, what's I your... have to, Ninja. I have yeah. to be really quiet because yeah. I've got two teenage daughters and I don't know if you've seen what teenagers are like. If you stir them at that time, it's it's really bad. So I have to be really quiet. And I've got a German Shepherd dog and you've got dogs. You're not like, they give you so much unconditional love mm. 24-7. They're up for shenanigans. Yeah. Even at 12 minutes past four when I creep out the bedroom, the Shepherd's like, what shit we're going to get up to yeah. now? And I'm oh, like, no, I've got to get up. We, please keep quiet. So she's quite big and makes noise. I have yeah. to try and calm her down and stuff like that. And so, no, I, I couldn't start a shower. What I will do, though, is I'll have some of my herbal teas mm. and then I will go and meditate for 20 minutes. I know that sounds grand. And then you straight away, people start to judge. You think, oh, God, it's one of these meditation guys. I am not one of these meditation guys. But I force myself to try and do something, even though every minute I'm thinking I'm not relaxed. The show starts and I can feel like a clock ticking down because there is a clock ticking down. 6 a.m. is going to be here soon. Um, I don't know what we're going to do for the first hour of the show. But so I why are myself. you doing meditation at that time of the morning rather than... Like, because I don't... I, if, even if you were a meditation guy, I think there's some great... I like, I like talking to people about meditation and I've meditated myself and I think that I have a bit of a... like a, a general meditative vibe in that... Like, I find it quite easy to sit in the back of an Uber for 20 minutes yeah. and just sort of clear my mind. It's and, lovely, isn't it? And let things go. Yeah. And I think it's a nice thing to do. 
but I would never do it before I went to radio in the morning because that's 20 minutes where I could be fucking doing the shit that I need to do. Yeah, why, I mean, why are you doing Why are you doing That's like, like trying to clear your I mind. We really didn't come here the for these kind of deep questions, okay? Can't we just leave it with what time you get up in the morning? <laughs> now you're starting to make me question my when life. When you're trying to clear your mind at a time when your mind is doing nothing but trying to give you impulses at that mm. time in the morning, is that not the hardest time to do it? Yeah, it is. You're into extreme meditation. But I tell you what, no, not at all. No, I tell you why I do it because I try and center myself so I don't get too quickly oh, okay. into that monkey okay. brain. Yeah. You know, so what? by the time you get to work, you're just mm. too adrenalized. And people always say to me, are you a morning person? I'm like, no, those people are idiots. Mm. No one should be that excited about being up early in the morning. I'm more like a dimmer switch that comes on gradually. I think people are like that in the morning. You don't want someone yelling at you at 6 a.m. Why would you be excited at 6 a.m.? Yeah, You're mad. Mm. And so I try and just, it's more about just sort of calming myself down and centering myself. And then I allow, hopefully I'm allowing room for whatever nonsense I want to talk about that day. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you know what? And you're also captain of the ship in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. when you do the radio show, it's your name that's on the show. And, yeah. and, you know, how you are when you arrive in the morning, you know, oh. sets the mood and the agenda for how everybody yeah, else Yeah, and you're so aware of that. Yeah, it is. And, you you know, you know, sometimes if you had an argument with your missus the night before, one of those fun ones where you start till one in the morning fighting mm. and they don't get much sleep, you come to work, you know you're in a pissy mood mm. and you don't have to say anything. You think, oh, they don't need to, I don't want the team to know. We just know, don't you? Just pick mm. up on someone. Isn't it amazing when a couple come over to yours, maybe for a bite to eat or some drinks, they've had that big fucking row. You know it before they knock on the door, don't you? There's an energy, they walk in with it, and you look at your thing, like, fucking hell, they've had a bad one. But they don't mention it, no. but you're feeling it, aren't you? Mm. You're in that energy, and like, shit. People ask me a lot uh, why I'm not doing much work in America at the moment, and it's because the entire of America feels like that to me right now. Right, that's really interesting. You know, when I'm there as a person, because they've got so much internal strife going on in this country, it just feels like when you walk in as an outsider, you've walked in on the couple who've just had a really big argument. But wow. I can admit to you, they've just had a really yeah. big argument. Yeah, it was a period in the UK with the Brexit stuff where it was like that. And uh, I think it's going on around the world, isn't there? There's a lot of anger and mistrust. And I think that's the potential for change, hopefully. But at the moment, it, it isn't like that. People are being manipulated and lied to. Okay, so you want to be centred going into work. Do you, as much when, as I when can. Do you, when do you first date? I try and have something uh, as soon as I get up within five minutes. I tried not doing that and uh, I just feel it's better for, I just find it better to have a little bit of something. Okay. So right. I have some gluten-free toast and then I'll have a small source of protein on that. Now, I'm, uh, are you gluten intolerant or is this no. another one of your... <laughs> got it. You're starting to profile me now. <laughs> another one of your... <laughs> I'm the picture. That's what I would say. <laughs> no, one of my daughters is really badly gluten intolerant. So I try where possible... Uh to help out with her have a little bit no that's good I, yeah. Uh, yeah 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 no steal the only food that she can eat in the house well yeah. <laughs> so, a real hero person who doesn't need that <laughs> what a selfish dad <laughs> Um, 22 years in radio. Do you have a... I'm going to ask you if you have a general life philosophy, but I'm interested in if you have a radio philosophy. Like, is there a guiding principle to which, you know, you broadcast? Like, what is it that you're trying to achieve when you go on the radio? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it, it has changed over the years, as hopefully I've changed over the years. But I always, always hang on to a very strong sense of how grateful I am um, 
to be able to do this because I remember there was a time in my life when I didn't do this and I wanted to do it. Mm. And I was someone who grew up obsessed by radio and stand-up. Stand-up for me, when the first time when I was, I was about 13 and I saw Billy Connolly on TV and I saw the power he had over my mum and dad. I'd never seen them laugh so hard in my life. And he was telling stories and he was talking about being working class and this was, I think this was uh, 89 or something like that, 1990. This is when, when you saw stand-up comedy on TV, it was normally guys in dinner suits with dicky bow ties doing uh, bits about their mother-in-law. And suddenly there was a working class, big Scottish guy swearing and telling these rude stories, but talking actually about being working class. And we were a very working class family. And so I, I, it was a, like a lightning bolt for me. I was like, I didn't know you could do that. What an amazing thing to make people laugh that hard, talking about vanity and vulnerability, but from a really powerful way. And it, it changed my whole life. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we're seeing Billy Connolly and I'm here to talk about your life honestly. And not about your successes. You know, aren't our stories about horrible, abject failure so much funnier and unifying than successful people when they talk about success? They're fucking boring. I've got nothing to relate to. Oh, man, as a a stand-up comedian, if you've had a really good year in your life, it's a a hard year to write jokes. Well, that's why I decided to just tear a successful radio show in the UK to ground, burn all these skateboards, and move to a different hemisphere with two teenage daughters and my wife. I was like, I need to do this for the material. Was there part of that? Because, uh, and we'll get to that, because I think your life change is, you know, quite a remarkable story, and I'd love to know what you think of this place and all these sort of things. But did you have challenges left in radio is is that was that part of it or was there an opportunity sometimes when you go to a new place that you can you know i know it's like you get a sense of reinvention was it at a time in your life where you needed to update or reinvent or were you like was there something that you thought you could do in australia that you couldn't do in the uk or like was it yeah t- give, tell me a little bit about that i'd um the last radio show i did in the uk i did for 12 years and it was a national show so it went all around the uk and it was the number one show. We had two and a half million people listening to it. And it had been a uh, real labour of love for me. Before that, I was on a London indie station, I guess a bit like uh, old school Triple J, called XFM, where Carl Pilkington was my producer for five years. Now I interview Carl Pilkington, the multi-millionaire BAFTA winner. And uh, so he should be. He's a lovely guy. But he used to be the guy that used to make my promotional trails. You're not producers on The Breakfast Show. He did that. And now he doesn't do that. Um, but so I've always, I've had five years on that station working with Carl and stuff. That was, was the greatest five years of my life. Sort of, you know, really exciting. It changed my life. But the last radio show I did was a really special thing for me. So much of my life changed when I was doing it for 12 years. It encompassed such a big part of my life. However, it had gotten to a comfort zone and I was starting to get into it. My wife and I were starting to get a comfort zone in our lives. We were just quite bored and unfulfilled. And I was, when I'm, I started to feel, I started to have quite a lot of anxiety in my life. And I was wondering what was going on. And I suddenly realized I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I've always, always loved it. And it felt like I knew what the whole year would be like. Yeah. And it scared me because I didn't know what else to do. This is all I've ever done in my life. It's a really narrow, 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 narrow. I wouldn't even call it skill set. I mean, of course it's a skill set. But, uh, but what I would uh, say is, tell me a little bit more because people have heard me speak about this a little bit on the podcast over the last couple of years, of the idea of becoming dissatisfied with something that you've always oh, loved. And, I, even and, now, I feel like I wish I hadn't talked about it because I feel like it's really rude to complain. Well, and that's part of the reason I think that it's a hard thing to process because yeah, very. I'm, do, I'm like, I'm doing the job that I've loved yeah. my entire life. Yeah, we dreamt of living this life. Uh, this is all I've ever yeah. wanted to do. We, we're winners in life. There's been times in my life where this was everything that gave me joy. Yeah. 
And right now, for whatever reason, I feel like I am walking through something that I used to absolutely yeah. love. And I don't feel like I can complain about no. it because... You feel ashamed about complaining. Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't help you process no. it at all. No. And I saw my mum and dad work so hard. Mum was an NHS nurse for 44 years. My dad worked in a car factory. And I thought, I know how hard they work to get money. That, you know, and, and I'm lucky to earn what I do. But you paid well to do what is, you know... It's a ludicrous thing, really. Sit on your backside and talk about whatever you want to talk about every day. And so I felt really, really guilty. I felt a lot of shame about it. I couldn't even acknowledge it to myself. You know, sometimes there are those moments in your life where you know what you're feeling, but you almost want to look the other way mm -hmm. because actually it scares you to go anywhere near it. And I think, you know, people talk about a midlife crisis. I'm 46. I think there is a moment in everyone's middle of their life, whenever that middle of your life is, where there is a certain undoing of certain structures that probably did serve you well, but they just don't serve you anymore. And I know friends of mine, how they've tried to escape that feeling through alcohol or eating or screwing around. You know, they call it the midlife crisis. But I guess for me... Turmeric. Turmeric. It's all about inflammation. It all <laughs> I was feeling very inflamed. <laughs> cold hand of death. That's coming for us all. The cold inflamed hand of death, which is a great indie band name. <laughs> Probably only for Radiohead, or is it a Radiohead B-side, the cold inflamed hand of death? Uh, I'm going to actually email Radiohead and please write this song. Um, and so, yeah, there was a certain kind of, and it scared me. Uh, and I think if anyone's ever been through that in their life, and at some point it is, it's terrifying. You don't know what to do and you feel trapped. And I was, uh, and uh, it wasn't because people around me who I work with were making my life hell or difficult or trying to compromise me. They weren't, they were nothing but great. But I just knew that I needed to do something else. But the something else bit really scared me because it was like, what else? So what else? Did you consider other things other than what you eventually landed on? No, I've only ever known radio. And so I was lucky in the UK to have that success but it means once you get higher up that mountain you've chosen for yourself uh the opportunities get less right and so it was like shit what well, i need another mountain to go and climb and then i've always loved australia and i guess about six or seven years before i was going through this i met hamish and andy and when they were doing their tv show gap year they came over and they came on my radio show and we did a, a joint simulcast together that went all around the uk and all around there drive time show which used to be syndicated around australia and i've always kept in touch with them and they're always like you should come to melbourne you should come to australia but i was like why would you do that that would just be so much work and i don't think australian people want to hear an english guy on the radio in the morning and then i rang andy when i really was like i don't know what to do andy lee and i said do you think it would work he goes it'd be really hard work but i think that's what you're looking for I don't think there's anyone doing radio, the kind of radio you do here. Why not? And he, he didn't get me a job, but it started the process of me thinking and talking to my wife. Um, what about Australia? That's a real, what a great opportunity for the kids to go to the other side of the world and to experience something different. And um, yeah, it started from that. It's a long process. It wasn't like, well, the next week we were packing in the movie of it. Oh, it's like the following week, isn't it? You know, you're kissing your mum and dad goodbye and stuff like that. So, but it was certainly the start of thinking about what about Australia and then reaching out to people here and, asking people there was a couple of people I knew that worked in UK radio that worked out here Australians and I was asking them I wasn't asking for a job I was just saying do you think it would work and I really wanted them to say it won't work well what was what was the general perception from people about whether it would work or not they hate your accent they will hate your accent and I, I mean I didn't want to say anything but it's <laughs> 
<laughs> you fucking racist. So like, it's like as soon as I walked in this house, it smelled of racism. Yeah, well, it's okay for an Australian to be racist against the English. That's all, <laughs> the one last group of people that I think. Don't take that safe, from mate. us. Come on. <laughs> Do you think that's the only reason why people tune in in Australia? Is yeah. some it tickles some sort of racist itch? Yeah, they're all just in their cars going, "Fuck this guy." Go back to your own. It's a hate guy. listen. So this is all I can do. <laughs> Wind up the windows and then just yell at the radio. Um, no, I, I mean, you have a beautiful radio voice. Like, you have a lovely voice to listen to. I yeah, think. but not everybody feels like that. People, And also, in the morning, it's a very intimate time. It's an interesting time to do radio. As people were at our most raw in the morning, it's like... Yeah, but you're not like coming on Australian radio and be like, Hello, Governor! No. Like, which is a perfect impression of... Oh, it's uncanny! <laughs> Dick Van Dyke, if he had his own breakfast show. Dick Van Dyke in the morning. Uh, I... I think there was a history of us lo like loving British voices. In fact, in the old days, that's what you sounded like on the radio in Australia, particularly the ABC and all our news presenters had yeah. you know, very British accents. That was the proper way of speaking. But, yeah, that received pronunciation. But there has been... There had definitely been a trend away from that to yeah. you know, authentically Australian voices. Which is fair enough because yeah. you want to hear your own people. It's, you know, life is tribal and you want to have people who reflect your views or thoughts that you grow up with and know your common culture. You don't want some English guy who's just rocked up here to give it a go. You go, Didn't no one asked for you. So Fuck off. It, it, that's interesting to me then with knowing that at least that is partly a risk that that might be the perception. Uh, what makes you think... Well, this seems like a, this seems like a good thing. I'm going to go to somewhere that is going to make my job even harder than it is. This is where people will hate no, me. No, way harder. Just because of the way. Way harder. Just because of the way that I sound. Before I even say anything, yeah. they might the one like thing that is the integral part of my job. There was a moment a couple of weeks into when the show started out here where. I remember finishing a show, walking to the toilets, and bursting into tears, where it all just felt like. This was a terrible mistake. I've ruined my career. I've ruined my family's life. Why have I done this? It just was. When you ask a life for a challenge, you know, I felt like going. This was too much of a challenge. Can I have half of this, mm. uh, or a third of this? This is just. This is just overwhelming. And so, yeah, there was a lot of trepidation, but it also Do presented. Do you remember, this, you know, what it was that sparked that moment of? I think it might have been the text at the end of what I thought was a good show where someone said, actually did text and saying, fuck off home. And I was like, that's after a show. I've done everything I can do. Yeah. You imagine if you did a really great stand-up gig and you thought at the end of it and you're waving to everyone, you think, this is as good as I can do it. Mm -hmm. And as you're walking off, someone heckles you. Oh, that'd be the worst time for a stand-up to be heckled, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wow, that would really stay that's with you. That's a good timing. Going, yeah, yeah, like, amazing timing. Like, <laughs> like an assassin. You've been hiding yeah. in the long grass yeah, for yeah. all of this. Off, yeah. <laughs> what? Just, just everyone's it. leaving out, <laughs> shuffling out. Yeah, or be the first person to start the standing ovation, but then heckle. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go up clapping so the, you catch the comedian's eyes straight away I'd be like this guy loves it and then when he's looking directly at you you just go fuck off mate <laughs> you thought that one out I, I hadn't until then but it came out very naturally as an idea of a nightmare um, so I imagine you haven't got come into this blind you understand that it's going to be hard had you set yourself a period of time for which you thought it would be hard? 
Yeah, but you're naive. We're naive, aren't you? Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I knew it would be challenging and difficult, but if I knew what it was actually going to be like when I got here, I wouldn't have done it. Okay. Because it was just, it was, it was really tough. Um, and it's not just professionally in terms of a job. It's not like your dad's moving to the other side of the world to be an accountant. You got two two girls. My daughters are thirteen and fifteen now, but at the time they were thirteen and eleven. So they're heading into, you know, no one escapes the teenage years. You get hurt in the process, don't you? You'll have scars. No matter how great your parents are, especially if your dad's, you know, really woke like me and drinking turmeric latte, yeah. you're still... It's, it's tough, isn't it? And you, they've got to do that journey alone. And it's the one thing about being a parent as you see your kids getting older and older and they head into that teenage sort of area. You're like, oh, God, I can't warn them. You know, but you know right. shit's about to get real. You just need to kind of try to keep them alive during it. Yes, that's all. That's yeah. my goal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you decide to do, you know, move to the other side of the world. And it was hard on them in their own way as well. Right. New schools. Leaving friends. Yeah. And then suddenly your dad's poster is up everywhere around town. Everywhere. And you don't want to be, when you're at school, you just want to blend in. You don't want to be different. And you've already got an accent. Mm. And then they're going, is that your dad? One day... My, uh, my wife said to we, me, We like the posters because we can't hear his awful. <laughs> <laughs> that horrible English accent. <laughs> One day I, well, I came home in the afternoon and my wife said, Hey, listen, don't take their kids. They don't want you to know. But some girls came up to them at school today and said, No one fucking listens to your dad's radio show. And I, why are you laughing? <laughs> this is really hard, right? Will's laughing. This is awful, right? And I. I was more upset than the kids. I went, I need to go and make them okay. When actually, we're like, I, need to, I needed them to make me okay. So I went up there and I went, who said this? And they were like, oh, don't worry. They were laughing like you. But I was really upset. I was like, who, who? I wanted to go and find them. Yeah. And like Liam Neeson. Show her ratings book. <laughs> no, because actually, technically at the time, I, I wasn't doing very well. And they were just, the worst kind of, yeah, the worst kind of heckle was one that's true. <laughs> You are shit, mate. Yeah, I am. You I know, am. your dad's really lost the 25 to 32-year-old women. Oh, shit, this is a real... Whew. Year on year, yeah. he's really struggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Despite what he says, it wasn't just a bad drop. Yeah. This is a trend in hey, his listen, survey. Hey, listen, we've got some PowerPoint yeah. slides. Anyway, we've been doing some tests. We've been doing some focus groups in the canteen at the school. <laughs> It's his accent. It's really irritating. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was yeah. it was hard on them. It was hard on a family. And then, you know, you, it's the strangeness of doing, you know, a radio show the other side of the world. But I came for the challenge. Um, How did you prepare? Because, oh. you know, you come into a place like Melbourne. Uh, I don't know if we actually, if we mentioned this. So there, there's people that listen to this all over the world. They might mm. not be aware that you do a Melbourne breakfast radio show. Yeah. And breakfast radio is what, like in the, what do they call it? Do they call it breakfast radio yeah. in the UK? Yeah. In the US morning radio, they yeah. call it. So, and, you know, it's competitive in the UK. It's, it is about ratings mm. and making money for the radio stations. Those two things, right? And for me, it's about the, doing a great radio show and connecting with the audience. But them, that's what they're interested in. That's, yeah. And that's where, you know, um, what creativity meets the hard sort of business world and how you try and uh, survive in that and hang on to integrity. But also, you know, money gives you fuel to do the radio you want to do and pay your team, blah, blah, blah. And it's a business. Yeah, it is. Like it is totally business. You've gone to work for yeah. a business. Yeah, you're it's, working for the man, but yeah. it's how you carve out your own soulful area within that relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it is always a delicate balance. And oh, it yeah. tends to be where the most 
friction hmm. comes on these yep. things is between the creative team wanting to do their creative team their creative thing and the business team wanting to do theirs and the yeah. shows that work best are the ones that end up with having a great synergy between those two things people yeah. talk about how successful Hamish and Andy was yep. as a radio show and as an entertainment show absolutely you know it was a ratings juggernaut and it was a brilliantly it's the same with Stern show. you know Howard Stern in America yeah. he's done the same thing you know but that- yeah that's what I was going to say Hamish and Andy were so great at being able to facilitate the fact yeah. that it was a good business as well. Yeah. You know, you can hear the way that they would, you know, have ideas, you know, whether it's coming up with a flavor of chip or a, yeah. you know, fragrance at the blah, blah, blah. You're like, these are all sponsors of the show. Yeah, these sponsors would be yeah, of course. so excited that yeah. it's happening. But there's a sleight of hand, a very good. But this is brilliant content regardless. Yeah, of no, exactly. They're being brilliantly creative, but yeah. they're also you know, the sponsor's dream because they're, you know, you can't buy, you know, perfume in Chemist Warehouse anymore. <laughs> you know? So, but in the UK, it's competitive, but our ratings come out every three months. So if you do well, you got three months before the next one. If you don't do so well, then, you know, it's three months ago. Mm-hmm. Here, Australia is really competitive. Everything is very competitive to you guys. We are competitive in the UK and Brits, all right? However, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. It's like someone turned the treadmill up and to, I, I, I need to step off. It was, ratings are out every five weeks. Yeah. And at first it just felt relentless. Like, this, I can't cope. This is horrendous. And there was so much attention on my ratings. And obviously with any new radio show, you normally go down. I've done a nut, I've taken over from enough other people on breakfast shows over the years to know it normally goes down. But over here, when no one knows who you are, you've got no goodwill. There's no goodwill banked. You are a nobody and no one cares. And it and was, you're it was brutal. Yeah, yeah, and you're everywhere. And yeah. no one wants you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no one's listening to your no, show. No, no. <laughs> was it you that said that to my kids in the playground? <laughs> Very large bully. <laughs> One of the mature students. <laughs> It's a vicious market. You've got to do whatever you can to get ahead. If you've what a great way dress, to unsettle your opposition. And then bully his children. Then that's what you got to do. Send out a street team. That was fine. They were... Um, so, so, yeah, it was straight away, yes. just the commercial pressures were oh, much bigger here mm. as well. And that felt just, even that was a, you know, and so... Okay, so see, it was, it, it felt a bit more competitive. A lot And more. you're a new person coming to town. Yeah. So how do you prepare for... You can't. There's nothing you could do. There, there was nothing I could do. You just... And it's the same with any real new adventure in your life. You know, the, the, the point of it is, I guess, is that you grow through it. And maybe it's an opportunity for certain things that I'd, I'd, I'd needed to learn about myself and, uh, and us as a family as well. It's been a lot of hard challenges, way more than you'd normally have with those with, with kids. You know, they sort of learn how you talk to each other and old ways you used to deal with stuff don't work anymore. As your kids are getting older and they're getting smarter and they see you guys struggling and they're struggling. So it was, it's been a lot, but it's also been hugely exciting and uh, as a family and also creatively for me, it's been the best thing I've ever done in my life. Right. So you feel enthused. By oh, it. it's giving me my mojo back yeah. and my kids are doing things. And you know what my kids have learned? They've learned probably the most important the thing you can do teach People do listen to their <laughs> radio show. 
take that. Check G's yeah. PowerPoints you out. Go and find that girl, <laughs> and I'm going to invite her to our ratings party. It's just you guys are out having champagne breakfast. It's just a girl. Yeah. I'm outside that tails. kid's house with a megaphone. Yeah. Number one in all key demos. Da- da- Daddy keeps volunteering to speak at the school. Happy to speak at any occasion. <laughs> Um, what about, I mean, what about learning how to, um, like, as in what sort of research did you do? You're coming into a place like Melbourne, you know, AFL is very big here. You wouldn't have had much, you know, experience. No, I started to watch that in the UK, but you can't watch that cold. Mm. The other side of the world and make any sense of it. It's like, you know, when they have a sci-fi movie and they show you a sport of the future Mm. that looks crazy. That's what AFL Mm. footy looked like to me. It was like, this makes no sense. Mm. It's running man, but somebody threw a ball. Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. But then there's two things which are the goal, but then there's two where the smaller posts are the side of it go, try and hit one of these. You know, try and get it within that, okay? It just didn't make any sense. And then it wasn't until I came here and I started going and watch it live with people that understood it can hold your hand and walk your uh, way through it a bit. But even they, you'd ask questions about it and they go, oh, it's, it's just because, you know, they somehow you just got to learn it via osmosis. Mm. And then the, you change the rules every year. Yeah, well, that's also... The which thing. is amazing. Yeah, we also do that. You know, in the UK, we've got cricket and soccer. Those rules haven't changed in yeah. decades. And soccer has three rules. Yeah, that's three it. rules, yes. basically. Yeah. AFL, if you go to, you know, the headquarters, mm. you'll see it's written in felt tip. Yeah. It's constantly being changed. Yeah, the laws and rules of the AFL, it comes out in this giant book and it is all sub-regulations. <laughs> and it's the only game in the world, and this is what I love about it as well, where... The uh, referee not only yes. has to, um, you know, the umpire as we'll call it, but the, yeah. like, not only has to be running like 14 kilometres in yeah. every game, but making decisions on a 360 degree thing. And many of them are interpretations. So there's yeah. things like... How, it's like interpretive dance. deliberately yeah. out of bounds. You're like, so you have to read Ow. the person's mind yes. to know if they did something <laughs> deliberately. Or, this is all part of your job yeah. as, a, as an umpire of this game. Yeah, so there's no, there's, there's a little consistency. But then once you get into it, you realise that's where a lot of the fun is, isn't yes. it? That tension. That. And right. it's, a, it's a game I've come to really, really love watching. It's a great game to watch. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate how hard those players work now. Now I know a bit more about it. But, but it's it, also a great an analogy for... Uh, the difference between how Australians see ourselves and how we actually are is the Mm. game of AFL in that we play it, you know, it's for all shapes and sizes. It's 360 degrees. It's rough. You can get smashed from anywhere. It's freewheeling. It's high marking. It's long kicking. But it has more intricate rules and regulations. Yes. Telling, like, this country sees itself as being... Well, no worries, mate. No worries, mate. Yeah. Apart from if what you want to do is... Go to the beach, uh, have a drink or, at the Or go beach, anywhere. Go deal with the water. You've got more regulation red tape than us Brits. And I thought we were yeah. uptight and love bureaucracy yeah. and pomp and ceremony. The worst. I come here. Yeah. And I was like, what happened to the whole, no worries, mate. Yeah. There's admin about everything. I had to get a dog permit. Mm. You don't have any of that in the UK. There was four, I've never felt like so much admin in my life. Yeah. Everything requires paperwork. Rules and regulations. Yes, you love it. What other things have surprised you about Australia? I tell you, the really big thing that surprised me, which I love every single day, is how friendly you are. Oh, that is just that is just brilliant. Really friendly people. You want to know uh, why am I why am I here? You know, when we're out about my kids. When are you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're never far away from that, are we? We're never far away from racist will. That could be the title of your next stand-up show. <laughs> racist at will. <laughs> Willfully racist. Yeah, Triumph of the will. There's already a title. That oh, I knew there would be. Perfectly <laughs> You've got the next ten years mapped out. <laughs> 
No, but you are. You're very friendly people. Oh. And that's been, you know, when you're a stranger somewhere, that's been lovely. And when friends come out, we've got a friend, one of my oldest friends in the UK is over at the moment. And it's the first time they've been to Australia. And they're like, people are so friendly here. And it's not like we're... I don't think we're that cold in London. Do you think we're cold over there? We can at times. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Whereas here, there's none of that. Mm. You know, I, you know, and I, I love that. That's really, really nice. I think that's a real characteristic to be proud of. Okay. There's something really... And I think you you appreciate people who, who can hold a conversation well, who are funny and interesting. You value humour. You know, you call it banter and that, but there's a real value placed on that, which is why radio is so important to you guys, because you've had so many great people on the radio over the years, like Tony Martin and Mick Maloya was a huge fan of theirs. I used to buy the CDs online. And uh, you could tell there's a real... People, which is why I got where they cared about radio so much when I came here. I was like, I get it. You really care about your radio and what you, what you accept on there, what standards you have. So, um, so yeah, I did some research, but it, you know, until you get here, you've got no idea. What's the uh, what? I, I'm very interested in because you have a keen eye for observing, you know, things. That's been well. That's our job, isn't it? Our job yeah. is actually pay attention. Yeah. So. What do you think the biggest misconception Australians have a, a, about ourselves is? What do we think about ourselves that you as an outsider think perhaps isn't true? Is there is there something? Yeah, I think that actually Australians Australians claim glory wherever they can. Uh-huh. Let's just talk about Crowded House. They're not from Australia, yet you're very proud of the fact... Oh, that no, I formed in Melbourne. Oh, here we go, uh, Will's even doing it. You're even I mean, doing it. And, like, really, I mean, well, what are you, you're saying Neil Finn's not from Australia. Yeah. But Neil Finn was living in Melbourne when Crowded House... See, this is how easily you get into and it now. And also Paul yeah. Hester and... See, you've thought Nick, about this. Nick you've actually Seymour got a ready answer. ...are both from Australia. See, here so we go, I've touched the sore spot. That actually means that two-thirds <laughs> of the band are from... So what you're saying is that Neil Finn is Crowded House. Now, Neil Finn... <laughs> He's a solo artist when he's Neil Finn. He's from New Zealand. But These are good points, but can you see how thirds. defensive? My point remains, you're very defensive about this. I just thought it was this. a bad example. I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to hear the argument, but you've got to bring better than... You've got to justify it. Yeah, crowded house. Uh, two-thirds of that house is crowded with Australians, my friend. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you will... You like being made to feel good about yourself. There is a cultural insecurity about Mm -hmm. Australia. In the UK, in London, if I met some Australians, I would never say, why have you come here? Mm -hmm. Whereas people in Australia always ask me every day, why why have you come here? Europe and England are so interesting. Why would you come here? And so I think people people like the fact when I said to them, I'm really enjoying living here. I've just bought a house here and I hope... This gets to be our home. We love it here. My family does, and I do. People are really like, oh, that's that's great. People, we want to have that validation. Whereas I guess Britain has an arrogance, stemming about historically as well. We used to rule the world and ruin the world as well. And so we 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 have that. Whereas Australians, there's an insecurity at times, not always, but there's also this. uh, 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 There's a very very big heart in Australia, and and, uh, with what happened with the bushfires. One of the most incredible things to come out of such a, an awful episode for Australia and the world was just how people wanted to help other people. And when their leaders weren't doing that, I was really humbled by what people were doing, whatever, anything that was small or big. Or There was a tradie, a, a carpenter that called my radio show, and he was saying he was watching it on TV and he wanted to do something. So he set up a Facebook group and wanted to find out the other tradies that would come and join him when it was time to rebuild. 
fences, anything, because they're going to be waiting a long time for the insurance money. They're going to be forgotten about. They're not on the news anymore. The camera crews have all left, but they're they're still struggling in, a, in actually a different kind of scary way. And so he said that within a week, there were 12,000 tradies from all over Australia that wanted to go and help out. And this is their weekend. It's downtime. It's free time. Um, and I was so moved by that. And that, that to me is typical of the, the heart that is hidden under the brashness sometimes with Australians. I think you've got really, really big hearts. It's, it's surprising, isn't it? That um, I mean, I, and I think it's a bit sad that it takes something so Yeah, it is, Will. To, Absolutely. Because we spend it shouldn't so much have to. time now thinking that we all hate each other that mm. we're all in these sort of yeah we're reminded of our differences aren't yeah, we constantly it, and we're yeah. constantly arguing online and we're yeah. constantly you know thinking that one side's evil and the other side's great and vice yeah. versa everyone's a fundamentalist thing. these days aren't they until there's a bushfire and then everybody stands side by side and doesn't care that somebody yeah. voted for a different party and you or, drop that separateness and right. you're reminded of what we have together yeah and I think actually and so instinctively yeah there you and go and so passionately yeah and it I I think and it feels good. People yes. actually, why are they really doing it? Because actually, it makes them it feel makes them good. Feel good, and, and connected. Wonderful things come out of it, like all these concerts that happen. Yeah, you know, like you said, these tradies, the Muslim guys who, who yep. drove all the water up to the yeah, they're like the, the first responders. The, they were there before anybody else. The cafes on the front line that yep. wouldn't accept you know money from the firefighters, like it. But then the concerts and the yeah. comedy shows and the, you know, art auctions and all these sort of things, all these groups in society who instinctively came together to create mm. not just help for these people, but positive things that came out of it. Yeah. And it just made me wonder mm. and get disappointed that I know that we'll go back to not being that. Yeah. But look how easily and fun and wonderfully we react in that moment. Mm. Why is it? Why? What is how do that? Why does it take that? Drag down to yeah. what we're like the rest of the time when yeah. we so instinctively become that. And then suddenly you're watching Brian Lara and Sachin Tendulkar play yeah. in a game of cricket together, and it's you're moved to tears. It, mo- it touches because you because everybody yeah. wanted to do something to help. Mm. So that's in us mm, naturally. Yeah. So why the rest of the time is oh, there so much? Why don't we spend this? more time with that part of ourselves? Right. I know. I haven't got any answers. Oh, that was, the only, that was the only reason I invited you here. Was I was told you had the answers. You're searching for the truth. <laughs> like, this British one from the radio. Who's, He's got answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you think it is? You're a smart guy. I don't know. I've been thinking about yeah. it a lot and how we can best continue to tap into that. You yeah. Because um, as, a, as a dad, I have to hope that my kids are... They've got so much more information available to them than we ever had. And so being ignorant isn't an excuse so much anymore. And um, they're really smart and they're kinder people growing up. Although, you know, they can still be little shits to each other online. I thank God we didn't grow up with that. That world and trying to navigate your, your way through it as a parent is really hard. You know, because that addictive pull of phones and all their friends are on it. Right. And when you try and install. So we have a daily ongoing battle about the phones at night time. That half nine, you've got to hand your phones over. And the other night, my 13-year-old gave her phone up too quickly. And I went to bed and I think, that, something's not right. There was no fight. And so I gave her half an hour and I crept up to, uh, to her bedroom. I saw there was a glowing light under a door. So I flung open the door and she was on a contraband phone that I didn't even know existed in the yeah, house. She got a burner. Yeah. I think she's dealing. She's a very popular kid. Now I understand why. <laughs> 
The pommy kid, the English kid's got all the good stuff. I've just been watching this thing called The Wire. Breaking Bad. I've got a mini Walter White Jr. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, oh, God, this is going to be like a prison cell now. We're going to have to toss a mattress every day and look for contraband phones. And that's when I realized... Check behind the posters on her walls. I think she's tunneling out. (laughs) (laughs) A kiddie version of Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I I have to hope that the younger generation are actually going to be the positive people that change it, but... What is your thoughts about that? Because it is you're the same age as I am, and uh, yeah, you know the world's we're not prime. Know, the world's yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, a little inflamed, <laughs> but other than that, could do something about the inflammation. That's the only thing that's I'm working about. on it. <laughs> Have you tried combining the turmeric with the reishi mushrooms? That's, oh, uh, what a cocktail! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I, I. I want to have hope for... I think we're at a crisis point at the moment, particularly around the environment and stuff. And no, actually, we genuinely are. Though. Yeah. yeah. And these kids who are 12, 13, you know, when you're looking at these predictions of what the world's going to look like, it's going to be when they're in their 30s, which is meant to be yeah. the sort of prime of their life, their 20s, their yeah. 30s, their 40s, when they're trying to have the lives that we had, they're going to be dealing with... Well, it seems like if, you know, we trust the science and that's all that we can do in this scenario yeah. is is that they're going to be, you know, it's going to be a very difficult world. So how do you keep hopeful about it? Are you hopeful about it? How do you prepare them for that? It's really hard, Will, because, you know, I guess we're pretty optimistic people, Mm. even though we're comedians and stuff like that, and there is a a shadow to us, you know, and we can speak out from that, and that's what you make common entertainment from. But it is hard not to be depressed sometimes and really actually worried. Um, But you have to, I guess you have to remind yourself and them that, that, you know, that actually the only thing you really have, the only thing we really have is is control over yourself and what you're doing and and putting out there as well. And if there are enough people that care enough, how how can they mobilise themselves? But you say all that, look what happens to people at protests now. Even the way they're reported about on news, they're seen as an inconvenience. The first thing you'll hear is about tailbacks this morning to uh, commuters, as and they're seen as just reported straight away as being a pain in the ass. When you know actually protesting is what's needed. It's the thing over the decades which brought about change, but now it's it's seen as a pain in the ass, an inconvenience. But we, it's intentionally demonised too. I think that yeah, we, of course. I think that we have to be very clear about the fact that the demonization of protest and these sort of things doesn't just organically rise no it is it is created by you know big multinational companies you know media and possibly yeah, it's, it's to protect the status quo and the business interests of yeah, the world correct. yeah yes so um it is hard but when you're doing a show like you do i mean i know that this is not exactly what you're doing every morning but when you're in a town like melbourne and extinction rebellion are in there shutting down the town i yeah. imagine you are still getting calls from people you know in your audience going this is really shitting me because yep. i'm stuck in traffic yeah right and they're now. allowed to feel what they're yeah. feeling they're allowed to feel pissed off they just want to get to work everyone's got their own battle and shit they're dealing with that day they are allowed just to get from a to b they're broke maybe they're trying to make ends meet don't know why i'm really getting to a story now about someone in the car however um i think also you have an idea of who your ideal listener is yes dave this person. yeah dave. it's dave, <laughs> dave. <laughs> in fact, I've taken him around to my daughter's school and I've introduced him to that Kids, bitch. meet Dave. This is Dave. He he's listens. having a tough time at the moment, okay? Yeah. He's like someone out of a Springsteen song. He's just trying to make, <laughs> he's trying to make ends meet. <laughs> <laughs> 
my whole life is about trying to be something out of a Springsteen song. That's what it's all about for me. Is it really though? Like, is that if you could be a, a, a character out of any musicians? This is, you're a good person to ask this because you have a good Springsteen music, musical knowledge. Is it a Springsteen song? You want yeah. to be in a Springsteen song? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Radiohead fan. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I have very, very eclectic tastes, you know, and I love listening to people like stuff like Frank Sinatra. And this week I was playing some Kenny Rogers to my kids and uh, I wasn't sure if they were taking any of these life lessons in. I was playing them the gambler and yeah. saying he's using cards as a metaphor for life. Yeah. What a dull dad. Yeah. Anyway, 10 minutes later in the bedroom, I heard it being fired up on the Spotify was the gambler life lesson that you've got to know when uh, when to hold and when to fold mm. um, you've got to know when to walk away you've got to know when to walk away it's deep anyway um, for me it'd be a Springsteen never count your money while you're sitting at the table that yeah. is yeah. yeah very important yeah, it is actually there is yeah. some profound quite, uh, yeah. lines in no, there there's some good yeah, there's yeah. some poetry in there from Kenny yeah, exactly Kenny can teach us um, and so uh, for me it'd be though a Springsteen song I love some of Springsteen's stuff, you know. Yeah, I really love that. Uh, seen him live, I imagine, then? Yes, many How times. Many times? I think I've seen Springsteen live probably about six times. And uh, do you have a favourite Bruce Springsteen concert memory? Yeah, I was lucky enough to see him in Hyde Park a couple of years ago. Uh, no, Playing it's, or just walking through? <laughs> I was walking my dog <laughs> just, yeah. in Hyde Park. Yeah. No, I tell you, it was at a festival. Yeah. It was an Isle of Wight festival, and he did it. He was uh, Isle of Wight festival, like a lot of festivals. Mm. They have a certain headliner on a Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. And Springsteen was headlining on the Sunday night, so it was the end of an already great Played festival. Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> he's still playing now. Exactly. Five years later, <laughs> <laughs> and he did one of his epic sets, and it was just there was you know it's like sometimes if a, if a headline band gets right on the Sunday, they almost sum up they're the full stop same at Glastonbury yeah. that last performance and he and he really did and you just see what it I was lucky enough to be kind of near the edge of the stage mm -hmm. you could see I always love when I go and see comedians I like seeing them walk out because I, I, I really I've always think that one minute before you're going out as you're walking out before you do stand up there's something that happens in that space I, I, and this must be the same as a band but I like seeing a different viewpoint of Springsteen and the band and them looking at each other and what it still means to them in those moments where there's something there's something very spiritual sometimes about music when you go and enjoy it together it becomes a oneness doesn't it a communion and you're worshipping the band on stage and that was one of those moments where I really felt like I'm lucky to be here there feels a oneness everyone knows look at each other going this is amazing he's really got something tonight there's something in him a buzz and I counted myself I was blessed that I was there at that that was really cool and yeah I've always admired Springsteen who would it be for you then if you could be a star a character of any artist's song Radiohead? Well, yeah, but I don't know if you want to be the star of a Radiohead no, song. No, you really don't. Because I was not, thinking about Radiohead earlier. they and unsympathetic yes. characters yes, at yes. this. So <laughs> it's like all troubled or something's gone wrong. You want to be troubled it's light, like, not yeah, too exactly. light. Yeah, diet like, troubled. I want to be at the Radiohead concert. <laughs> I'm literally wearing a Radiohead t-shirt right now. And, you know, one of my greatest ever memories of, of music, and I've been lucky enough to, so many of them revolve around Radiohead, you know. Like, you know, I've travelled to, the first time I went to Coachella in 2004 was to see Radiohead. Oh, you know? cool. Ooh. Well, and the Pixies and the Cure and Beck, it was like this amazing. Oh, that's amazing! That that's like one like, of the greatest lineups ever. Yeah, wow, it was amazing! Um, and back before Coachella was Coachella, so like it was like, and it was just because we were following Radiohead. We went to Spain and went to Primavera to see Radiohead. Oh, brilliant! We saw Radiohead four nights in a row at Madison Square Gardens, which was probably the best 
Four nights over five days. What an un-Radiohead venue, Madison Square Gardens. Yeah, incredible. It's though. so show busy, isn't yeah. it? Madison Square uh, Gardens. But they know. have, it's the best, uh, bands will tell you this all the time. Yeah, that's right. The best sound system in, in the world, you know. Yeah. And so it just sounds amazing. And we saw them four out of, so five nights in a row they were, they were there. They played four nights in a row. Because here's the thing about Madison Square Garden. It is so union controlled that it is booked 365 days of the year yeah, that's so right. they will not you can't like have a night off because they need to put another show in there and radiohead didn't want to bump in and bump out their material so they paid everybody who works at madison no square way. gardens for the night off so everyone got the night off but every single person who would have got paid to work like for the show got paid to work for the show just Amazing. so Radiohead could have a night off that's a great story I didn't know that Yeah. so, so you saw them every night at Madison Square Garden yeah. yeah that's a proper fan yeah that was yeah so we went over for that reason to go and do that so for you it would be a Radiohead song well I don't know if it would be a Radiohead song though like yeah. I would you know so, so who else would it be say is the difference is yeah. um, I, I don't know I think maybe like yeah, oh, well, okay. I don't know if you would have known much about Paul Kelly before he came to Australia, but did you know? Only Paul the Gravy Kelly? song. So he's really yeah, our... Gravy song. Well, I used to play at Christmas time, so yeah. I thought it was a great song, and you didn't need to know about yeah. Paul Kelly. So I used to play it in the UK. Paul Kelly's our uh, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, he is, or and our he, Bob Dylan. Yeah, or our... and he and he deserves to be yeah. lauded like that yes. because as a lyricist and a poet, he's amazing. Yeah, and I've got to discover him a lot more since being out of him and some yeah. of his other songs and reading his books and stuff like that. He's an he's an interesting guy. Someone was going to cool. write a. Um, song about your life yeah i'd be happy for it to be in yeah. paul kelly's yeah. hands yeah and he likes writing about those kind of rebels and outsiders doesn't he you know yeah, yeah. i think that i'd be i'd be happy to yeah still still on my bucket list now <laughs> do something, you're really warming to this something. aren't you i am actually I was like, this is actually an achievable dream <laughs> I mean, you don't want enough. Can't you commission yeah, him yeah. like you can commission an artist to do a portrait? Can't you say, hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. What would it cost? <laughs> How much? How much? Just a three and a half minute, yeah. not like a big five minute one. You know, one. like when the Wu-Tang did uh, yes. an album that was just yes. for one person. I'm yes, going to commission you <laughs> to write a song. Send him an email with a couple of bullet points about right. you, you know, your interests, what Don't your dogs are called. Put it on an album. <laughs> no. Like, just release it, like, online or something. <laughs> oh, he's got to release it as oh, well. I thought he was it. just going to email it to you as an attachment. Oh, I'm releasing it regardless. Oh. So. <laughs> what an amazing vanity you project. This awesome Paul Kelly <laughs> Please email Paul Kelly asking to write a song about you. Um, what's the most surprising musical artist that you've ever seen that you did not think was going to be great, but you were blown away, you know, that you really enjoyed? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, someone who's really, really surprised me. Uh, do you know what? Um, doing the job we do where you get to see a lot of music for free, right? See some amazing performances and, and some in smaller venues. And I uh, was lucky enough, the Rolling Stones were going to do a warm-up show. And I'm a big Stones fan. But they're going to do a warm-up show Never before... Before doing um, a massive stadium, Twickenham Stadium, rugby stadium in, in the UK, so it's about 80,000 people, and they were going to do a warm-up show, and I was offered two tickets. The warm-up show is only going to have something like 350 people. It's a very, it's a London music venue, like a lot of great music venues, it isn't there anymore, and it's called the Astoria, and I was offered two tickets, and I was thinking about not going because I thought they're really not going to do, it's a warm-up gig, it's the Stones, 350 people, they're going to be half asleep, they're going to save it for two nights later, mm. and then... 
you don't think where you go, oh, I'm actually really tired and yeah. I can't be bothered. And, and, and then I'm bothered going to see the Rolling Stones playing a 300. Yeah, I was just so tired. I've got to get up early in the morning do my radio show, but yeah. I thought that's enough. I'm going to go. As outside, it was offered $2,000 per ticket yeah. by tout. And my wife went, we were quite broke at the time. My wife went, just take the money. You know, we, we could really do with it. I went, no, 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 I really want to see the stones now. Now that I know it's worth it. Yeah, now I'm really now, interested. Now I've got some value. <laughs> <laughs> this now is a $4,000 yeah, gig, exactly. all right? Before I downgraded yeah, it. Happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and it was one of the, it was one of the most amazing things. I've ever. Right. They were amazing. Yeah, and you realize the why they're great. Don't, they don't phone it in. No, they were incredible. And also I was shit, I'm so lucky to be this close to the magic and Keith and Ronnie and then Mick and just seeing how much they love playing together and what a uniquely weird and wonderful outfit they are of individuals. They're a band, but they are really individuals. Keith, if you've read, it, read his book, it's an amazing book, Life. But, you know, the, the relationship with him and, and Mick is incredible, quite fractious, like a lot of musical relationships. But they were, in terms of a concert which really surprised me, they were incredible. It was one, one, of, the, one of the best moments of my life. It was just like, geez, I'm really lucky to see rock and roll like this. Yeah. Um, uh, what is it that uh, you like about live performance yourself? Not watching, I mean now performing yourself because we haven't really explored this yet. We've talked a lot about radio, but yeah. we haven't spoken about the fact that you you, you do stand-up as mm -hmm. well. Um, have you been doing much stand-up in Australia? I think I've probably done, since I moved here for the last year and a half, I reckon I've done 12 to 15 gigs, so yeah. not that much. It's hard at night. I mean, obviously. Yeah, it stopped, is. And I'm, I'm still very new. The, you know, um, it's hard. Yeah, it is. And I'm still setting out my store on the radio show here, and so that's had to be my priority. And, and you know, it's in the evenings, it's late at night. Uh, so I have done it here, and there's a really good stand-up scene here as well. There's some really good, you know, up-and-coming comics and established ones as well. Um, but performing live... Um, is still such an amazing buzz because you do a radio show and I, I get a connection, uh, glimpses of it sometimes. People say stuff afterwards or you can feel it when you're talking to someone on the phone and you say something funny or they share something. We were doing a phone in this week about did your mum or dad have an unusual job? This guy called in when his dad died when he was just 13, it's about 20 years ago. They found out that he worked for the Australian A. SIO, the Australian Secret Service. It's Secret Intelligence. ASIO. Yeah. And uh, he was a high level spy. His dad was a spy. Mm. And he was talking about it. It was so interesting. You know, and I said, How did you feel? Were you angry that dad never told? He went, Yeah, you know, all this amazing stuff. And I had to find out after his death. And we, he felt that he could never talk to about it. it felt there was a, a well, secret he's not dad. To, yes. He's a spy. <laughs> it's the like, number one thing in spy school. Don't tell that. the worst people, yeah. i.e., your kids. kids who you know, will tell everyone in the playground. Guess yeah. what? My dad's a spy. Yeah. My dad could kill your dad. My dad could have your dad killed. Day one. Yeah. <laughs> like day one that you tell That's your why kids James Bond can't have kids. Exactly. You know, you can't trust them. Yeah. Well, he can't. Jason Bourne. He he never no had children. kids. No children. Hard time down. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe you'll remember yeah, some right. kids in yeah. like six or something. They're at home starving. Yeah. When's dad coming no, back? It's just dad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so, uh, okay. 
So the idea of um, the audience interaction. Yeah, on the radio, it's, it's you know, you could feel it. Like when yeah. that caller was was telling us about his dad and you have that moment there and you can feel it. You know, I can feel it. I think, oh, this was, I can really feel what people... And then people call in after us going, oh, I was really moved by that. But however, with stand-up, there is that thing about uh, there's something really special where you kind of feel like you're slowing time down. And when it's going great, there's nothing quite like that. It, it, it is addictive. And... Sometimes it's really hard afterwards, isn't it? Because you've you've tasted something really amazing that most people never will know or experience. It's, and it's hard to actually. The words get in the way sometimes. They don't. They don't. They can't adequately describe the experience that you do when stand-up's going great. When you make a room full of strangers all at one moment laugh at something and it just explodes and goes. It, how could you not feel? Wow. That is incredible. It's the, I, and I've got this a little bit of like, cause I've been doing some press for my shows. And of course, when you give up, you know, a, a lucrative media job to go back to stand up, no one can ever understand it. No. And they, they're always just like, why? Yeah. You know, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Why? No. Because they're viewing it through their eyes, which of course is yeah. the eyes that what I do is terrifying and yeah. not pleasant. You know, because yeah. they're going, oh, I would find it hard. Like, mm. I would find it terrifying to stand on stage in front of people and do this. And I was like, yeah, but but it doesn't feel like that. When it's going well, it feels like no. the most amazing feeling that you will ever have in your yeah. entire life. And, and are you like the same where the gigs that you really enjoy, it's not about the stuff that you pretty much know normally goes down well. when Because there's a bit where as you're working out new material, it then solidifies and that that can take anything from a couple of weeks, a couple of gigs to a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. And then it all clicks into place. And then it's it's never quite the same again performing it, isn't it? It's, yeah, it doesn't give you the same joy. And there is there's a bit where it's almost there and you're like, why isn't this landing? Is it my tone? One word can make a difference. Ah, that's what the funny moment is in the story. Okay. And they hand it back to you and you learn from the audience. And there are those nights where you're ad-libbing with the audience and they know he can't do that joke. What he's just he's just made up. It's like a magician who just made up a, a trick involving an audience member and they know he can't do that tomorrow night. And they saw you actually do it in the in the live and they look at each other like you're some kind of mystic. It's like, how did he do that? And that's when it's really great, where it only worked that night. And it's frustrating because you just walk off stage going, it ain't gonna be like that tomorrow. However, wow. Those are my favourite ones yeah, when that Well that's why so I'm at Melbourne this year, I'm doing my Yeah, you're, you're doing the improvised show, show, yeah. And yeah, again, that must be great fun. Well, yeah, also see, scary though. No, well, no, not really. I mean, yes, of course, I yeah. guess if you know, to a rational person, yes, yeah. I guess, of course, that it's scary. But even though I would love to do some but, of that, but also part of me would be scared. But like, what you're saying right now yeah. is exactly what it's mostly great fun. Yes, like it's mostly me in the room with these people having fun. Yeah, and as long as my ego's out of the way, mm. like I don't think any all of it's going to be perfect. Yeah, I just trust my ability and their faith in me. Yeah, that if something goes wrong, we can dig our way out of it. Yeah, and that's a great way to enjoy it together, is it? And right. if you keep yourself vigilant in that place, you'll have a great gig. Yeah, and so when you're doing the radio, what's your mm. mindset? Similar to that, that, will it's exactly the same. It's like you know the team that I work with. I've worked on other Australian radio shows. So they used to sort of running orders, agreed the week before. And I was like, oh, I don't work like that. That is, the, for me, the death of anything. It's, well, then you've got no surprises. Where are the surprises going to happen for us and the audience? And so there is a hazy blueprint, you know, and, and, uh, but sometimes the best ideas can happen during the afternoon or a day just while something happens. And you think, oh, maybe we could do something on this tomorrow. And that, that discovery and allowing room sometimes for spontaneity and not knowing 
everything that has to happen. That's that's really important, hanging on to that. Um, so yeah, my my kind of philosophy of, of, of doing what I do on the radio is to, like you said about parking your ego, our egos get in the way of us. And that isn't just unique to our jobs, that's in relationships and everything. You're at your worst when you're, you know, and it's a devious fucker, the ego, isn't it? You don't even know you have one, you know, and when it well, gets- Well, it often uh, also presents itself in ways that oh, yeah. don't, aren't immediately ego. Yeah. Like a lot of the time, sometimes you'll be like, if ego comes in in arrogance, yeah. you know, you're like, oh, well, this is ego. But ego can present itself in a whole bunch of yeah. different ways that aren't arrogance. No. And so that's what makes it so subtle and devious um, that you're not even aware of its own existence. It's you're, it's right that you feel like this. Mm. Uh, and you're the only one in the world who feels like that. And the world's against <laughs> you and they don't appreciate you. And so as long as you can keep that ego, and that is a, for life, isn't it? That's yeah. a daily hour by hour vigilance. Um, and it's fucking exhausting. Um, but I, I think if I can keep my ego out the way... Uh, and I have a big thing for the team, which is please don't turn up trying to be radio. I want you to be real. And if something annoys you or excites you, I'd, I'd rather hear about that, even if you thought it's not what I want to hear. That, I think, would have a better conversation on the radio coming at it like that. And I always think, for me, the real magic in terms of radio I like doing, I, I'm obsessed with the mundanity and ordinariness of life because I think there's real extraordinary stuff happens in the ordinary i really believe that i think those little moments that we do that we take for granted or th those trappings of the ego and the failures and the setbacks um i think talking about that and sharing my stories and getting stories from the listeners which is what i love that exchange of stories i think stories are um such a big part of what we've come from is storytelling and i i love creating a space on radio that is truly interactive where people can share their stories and I can share mine. I love hearing a great story. You know, the dad who's, who's the guy whose dad was a spy. There was another, the next caller, his mum and dad were in the circus. He was in the circus at six. I found that really interesting about life in the circus and did you have mates that were not in the circus and they always seem to recruit from within. They're never like taking out job adverts, are they, to employ untrained people? There no. should be a circus idol law. Oh man, you would think so, right? Yeah. But they yeah. always recruit from within, don't no, they? It's not a big outsider industry. <laughs> no, circus, it's not. It? Yeah. But no, I... Very I, protective. It's very protective. Yeah, it's it's a, heavily unionised. Yeah, inside the tent or outside the tent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, can we pause for just a second? Yeah, sure. We're back. We've had a little break. Mm -hmm. We've had a pause. Yeah, you've checked the dogs and I've checked my teenagers. Yeah, basically that. Yeah, exactly. And it feels like we have about the same amount of influence on, uh, their, <laughs> on their lives and yep. what they're doing. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Out of control. <laughs> and are you probably doing it because you didn't want to get told off by your other half? And I was doing it because I didn't want to be yelled at. I'm supposed to be on, on duty at the moment. And my wife's uh, doing, a, doing a training thing. She's, she's studying this year. And so this afternoon I was supposed to be doing this and also just keeping an eye on the kids, which is just impossible. And they're teenagers. It's a Friday afternoon. One of them's got a boyfriend now. And suddenly, you know what it's like at that age, and you're 15, you just need mum or dad not to be around for a while. My wife's like, Chris, are you aware of where they are? And we've got this tracking thing, you know, like yeah. on, on the phones and she's running at her boyfriends and... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I knew she was around there. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm like a lifeguard who's doing a podcast at the back where kids are drowning. I mean, <laughs> your daughter is now a massive fan of this podcast only because it's distracted you from the Yes, does Will want to do it as like a yeah. Netflix thing where you yeah. do an hour every, every week. week together? Yeah, you guys... <laughs> every Friday you afternoon. Every Friday afternoon. <laughs> could you guys get together and do your little pretend radio show? <laughs> no one's listening to it. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> Come on now. Um, I ask people on this podcast whether they have a philosophy. Do you have a life philosophy? I've asked you about a whole bunch of philosophies, but ha- do you have a particular life-guiding principle by which you go by? By um, which you go by? Oh, look at me, radio professional. No, I, I, uh, I think that um, I, 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 I have to keep reminding myself of this. I think if we see ourselves as work in progress and you'll have a better time in life. When we, we all do this, when we hold ourselves tight or we find ourselves tensing up or crystallizing on, you know, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, that's where the real pain is in life. And I think if you can learn how to soften and embrace your vulnerability, which as a man is something that actually is a, that's, that's tough at times. Um, I think firstly for me, my philosophies about life have changed a lot. Before I had kids, now I have kids. And as you're getting older as well, you learn more about um, how, it's a cliche, but some cliches are that because they have a, a very powerful truth. It's about the simple things sometimes, isn't it? The Your friends, you know, the power of friendship and about love. Um, yeah, so my, 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 I guess my philosophy, you know, because I have different philosophies. I have like a work one, I have a relationship one, which I'm still working on after 20 odd years of marriage. I'm still getting stuck in the same dumb argument with my wife. I'm like, I've learned nothing. Absolutely nothing. So what's your relationship philosophy then? I guess I've got a lot better at talking. It sounds really stupid. Um, no, no, no. But the amount of times that I've been accused and we, we talk of my for partner living. as being yeah. a bad communicator yeah. or as she and said what do we do for on the first day of one of my tours, you know, I just haven't laughed much recently. <laughs> it's true though well you know what it was an accurate thing to say because i had been guilty in that moment of i was saving my laughter for tryout gigs and focusing in on this show that i was writing and so then the times when i wasn't doing that yeah then the last thing you want to do is like yeah give that same level of you know look it's come up several times in our relationship you know that i have a capacity to have a two-hour you know interesting conversation with a complete stranger but you know some sometimes isn't that interesting nice if i sat down yeah. you know with my partner and had this to same, be show you know, up and be that intimate and present right. is is a struggle right and i think everyone's like that at various times as well you know that's a that's a big thing but yeah so i'm i'm still guilty of that for people that talk for a living sometimes the harder conversations that you should be having you resist from I was having an argument with my kids the other day she stormed off shut the bedroom door and I went back up there to say what needed to be said yeah. and I paused I thought actually what should I what should I be saying here not what I think I need to say to try and prove a point so I just I just went in there and said I don't want to get back into it if there was one thing you want me to stop doing as a dad what is it and then she just dropped the defiance so we sat on her bedroom floor and we actually had a proper chat it wasn't about the thing sometimes it's not about the thing is it it's about what's behind the thing uh, uh and so yeah that's again that being that being present and being vulnerable because if you're gonna have a proper conversation with somebody you need to be actually open to being vulnerable don't you otherwise it's not a proper conversation and if you ever have a real conversation with somebody sometimes no one comes out of that unharmed do they <laughs> 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 no one gets out of here alive. Yeah. You're going to have a real conversation. Yeah. And you know, that can't be like that all the time in your life. But so in terms of your question about philosophies, mine's evolving as hopefully I learn more and unlearn more. Okay. Well, I love work in progress, I think is, yeah. is great. 
because I think that so many of the issues that we have in our society at the moment, the things that we're struggling with, you know, around what's appropriate when it comes to language and jokes oh, and, yeah. you know, conversations mm. and what's new and how we adapt to those things, the mistakes that we make are when we don't look at people as work in progress and we look at going, mm. they were like this and therefore they must... Yeah, what's know, wrong be- with no, no politician ever goes, I've changed my opinion on that. No. I know a bit more now. And that's what adults in fact, should they'll do. they'll accuse the opposition yes. of... Ch- like if someone yeah. does change their mind, they're like, well, you said in 1990 yeah. this, and now you say this. Well, yes, but in 1990, I thought Pretty Woman was deserving an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's some things <laughs> that exactly I believe that. in 1990. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if I pulled the right year on that joke. I've, <laughs> I've had a real crack out of nowhere at what a big... As soon as I get out of here, I'm Googling Pretty Woman. I, 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 do you I know what? Even wait Look at us. Long. I'm going to have to Google You could take the radio out at will, but... He still wants to check. Name the year. What was the year? What was the year? What was the year? What was the I would say, I'd actually maybe say 89 or 90. Yeah, okay. Please have a look now. What would be the second? If you had to make a call on a movie? I'd go 89, 90, 91 at number three. Yeah, okay. All right, okay. And and what would be your call from 1990 if you had to reference something? Die hard. Die hard. Oh, okay, good. That's that's a strong pull, by the (laughs) way. Good good radio demo. You got it. Is it a Christmas movie? I'm going to Google biggest movies of 1990 first. And then uh, Terminator. See, if, um, see how we went. Uh, uh, that's, <laughs> this is a fun game. I like this. <laughs> biggest movies of 1990. Here, you've just found yourself another podcast to do. Uh, I think there's room in your canon for what was the year with the new Will the Anderson podcast. According to Wikipedia, the biggest movies in order, the highest uh, grossing movies. In order of uh, uh, 1990 were... Indiana Jones? Um, highest grossing films. Do you need All to right. listen? Do you need to do something about those dogs, by the way? No, no, no. But they seem to be having a big... It's like a UFC thing in here. It's like Conor yeah, McGregor. That, they're showing off. Oh, right, okay. Firstly... <laughs> There's like Will's dogs. Oh, oh. Whoa. <laughs> That is not showing off. <laughs> that, was, that one is fucking okay. the other one. That, that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I mean, that is literally showing off. She never does that other than to impress someone. That's a classic submission. I mean, mold. I'm impressed. Yeah, you're impressed. <laughs> you should feel impressed. That's a real. They are showing off for you. Uh, in seventh place, worldwide gross $240,000. In the year um, uh, 1990, Back to the Future. Oh, sorry, um, Die Hard Part Two in seventh. So Die Hard Two came yep. out in 19. Was that the one with Samuel L. Jackson and the Sandwich Board? Uh, Back to the Future Part Three. Oh dear, Is that the uh, Wild West one. Terrible. In sixth place, Total Recall. Oh. In fifth place, Dances with Wolves. Wow. In fourth place. Now we're into the, the big stuff. In second place. I'll, I'll go back to third. Oh, yeah, in second we... place, Home Alone. Ah. That would have been a good pull. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, the dogs are going. They're really the going for it now. And in first place, Ghost was the biggest movie of 1990. Right. However. So that means. In third place, one of our calls, it was... The movie Pretty Woman, which made $463 million dollars in 1990. Ah, oh, I was right. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
Yeah, so I think our philosophies change as... Oh, well, they, that's a sign of maturing, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard not to concentrate on your dogs. <laughs> the dogs are... Reenacting the dog karma sutra. Going for... <laughs> now, they're French bulldogs, and how they play is that they do what they're doing right now, which is they fight, and it does look quite aggressive. Um, dog baiting in the middle of this what podcast. what I am going to say is... That it is slightly more aggressive than usual. So even by their usual standards, <laughs> I had you said that. Yeah, it's frenzied. They're really huffing and puffing. I mean, David Attenborough are here to commentate on this. They have not been out for a um, a year. A walk today. <laughs> 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 They've they gone feral for a year. It's like Lord of the Flies. And these I've two just dogs. Release them right now. One's got the conch. Who do you think's winning? At the moment, they're just miming trying to bite each other. Yeah, they are. They're not. They're not really twist. going for it. But there's a lot of um, no neck hold there. Oh yeah, that's not bad. Uh, anyway, anyway, yes. Commentating on yes. the dogs is probably <laughs> what people come to this podcast for. I might have to put them back in the house. I was. It was all fine and good a minute ago when yeah, Ramona was sitting on my lap. Yeah. I was like, "This is very nice." Yeah. When he was sleeping on the floor, but now. Yeah. Now it's like eyes wide shut. They're There's really some kind of or- orgy up. going on there. When we started talking about parenting, they've really just... Yes, they're starting to act out. They really are the kids <laughs> in the supermarket who are throwing a yes. tantrum because I haven't bought them Cocoa Pops. <laughs> Girls. Hey. God, wow. That, her ma- her master's voice. Powerful stuff. She should be a dog trainer. That's pretty good. Yeah, one out of two. Yeah, that's very good. That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> one still in That'll the do, babe. I've managed to split them up regardless. <laughs> that is the... Divide and conquer. That's what. That's what's important. Yes, all right. You can come back now. Yeah, come here. Just come up here and be calm. Um, okay, so work in progress I like a lot. So yeah. how do you deal with evolution? Because there are probably things that you would have done on radio 20 years ago that you wouldn't do today. Yeah. Um, uh, do you want my water now? Is that what you want? Well, okay. after well, that display, a little bit dehydrated. Uh, yeah, well, I guess that's probably true. You probably <laughs> do need some water. Need some uh, turmeric latte. <laughs> <laughs> Most of what just happened was caused by inflammation, I believe. <laughs> yes. um, so, uh, no, sorry, what I was going to ask you was um, the idea of, you know, kind of evolving as a performer in topics that you might talk about, in the ways that you might talk about things, in, like, you know, how... You as a man evolved because you yeah. lived in a world, you're the same age as me, where yep. predominantly, you know, most of the, the great jobs and the cultural voice and the way that the world was viewed was through the prism of, you know, people who looked like you and sounded like you. Yeah. And then, you know, the world has, you know, rightfully changed and yeah. is changing. And, and um, you know, some men are being held to account for things that men have done previously. And, mm. you know, there are certain ways of speaking that we're now a bit more understanding of the fact that... Like, I was watching Monty Python the other night. Oh, yeah. And brilliant, like, mm. still. Like, it was when Terry Jones died and I did Yeah, yeah, I went down and I watched a couple of movies again. Watched the movies, yeah. watched the documentary series, mm. really kind of... Yeah. And loved it. And so mm. much of that stuff stands up incredibly yeah, well but yeah. there is some stuff that definitely they just if they were making that like today, a lot of culture it's yes. it's baked in of its time isn't it you can feel what it came out of right so how do you deal with that because you're someone who's been in the media now for you know 20 odd years like have you noticed that you've changed much or yeah massively and yeah. i think becoming a bit more enlightened about how you describe groups 
um, is only a good thing, not just in terms of being on the radio or TV or whatever, just as a person. You know, obviously that's more pronounced being on a, on a radio show and you have a certain responsibility, I think. Um, that dog. <laughs> she, just, she just wants the water. But this is an impractical way for you to drink water. Okay, you know what? You can have the fucking water. <laughs> this, is, is, this, this, is, is this good parenting? Is this an okay, example of how you to can be fucking have the water. <laughs> Will Anson, dog owner of the year. Okay, you, you can. So have you're not going to be able to drink that water because there's no way you're going to be able to get. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It just wants what you've got. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so you can't look. Your tongue won't fit in there. See? Anyway, again, this is about as entertaining as describing the fighting before. He's describing <laughs> her trying to drink water out of my wine glass. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's right, it's a fancy glass. It makes it hard to drink out of. Yeah, you've got very fancy dogs. If that's a dog bowl, some kind of wine chalice. Oh, yeah, you know what? They they do actually get indulgently, you know, looked after. Um, I saw the way you were filling up their Kongs. Yeah. It was the sort of way that Elton John might do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite as liberal about what I put in the middle of a Kong as Will Anderson. I, uh, Listener, I saw a very extravagant man. <laughs> oh, I wish I could deny that, but I would you just can't. be lying straight to your face and to the audience at home. Yeah, no, they eat better than I do. There's no doubt about that. So, um, uh, yeah, okay, so the nature of changing things. Have you ever had times in your career where you've said something that you have been called on or, or you later regret even if you weren't called oh, on it? Yeah, you're doing a show live four hours a day. You know, it's, it's, it's probably live and right. you're going to make mistakes and say things wrong when you're tired or it's just, it's just, you just make a mistake, you get it wrong. And I think it, when I have done that, it's quickly, it's, den it's the denial of it that people don't like. And right, yeah, so, so what's your approach then? So this is interesting to me. So everybody makes mistakes. Yes, like this they will is the, do. At the very essence of your If philosophy, you're going to be truly spontaneity right? and live a life like that. Then it is, it's high wire. You yeah, know, walking, it is. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And when we're with our friends, sometimes you accidentally didn't go, oh, yeah. can't say that on air. You know, or then we say that to you. Can't, wouldn't say that on stage. You go, no, 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 I wouldn't. Um, but when you are on air and suddenly you, we live in a world these days where you are a slip up away from being a hashtag, aren't you? Right. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. You, and that's the world we live in now where you make a mistake and suddenly people will pounce on you because people are angry and they get some kind of strange power from trying to bring somebody down, going, yeah, fuck them. They've got what I haven't. I'm going to drag them down now. And they, I think that's really unhealthy. It's, it's scary. However, I like to think that when I have said things where like, I wish I hadn't said like that, that isn't what I intended to say, then I will... I will hold my hand and say, yeah, I, I should have known better. That is my responsibility. I, I, I don't feel good about that. And I get why you'd be disappointed or offended. Um, and so in the UK, I've never had, I've had complaints because the nature of our jobs is people will complain. Oh, I mean, don't people, have to be offensive to be no, complained about. Absolutely, no, that there is, Seriously. there's a difference between the two yeah. things. Yeah. Um, yeah, massive, massive difference. About, the boss would go, we've had a complaint yeah. about this. You're like, what? Yeah. Someone's actually done that? Someone a couple of weeks ago emailed me about something and I replied yeah. saying, I'm not going to say sorry because actually that is what I meant. It's generally what I meant. <laughs> the guy went, well, I'm going to complain to your boss and I'm going to have your job. And I, I was very tired before the show. I shouldn't have been engaging to my ego. And I just replied, and stop being such a whiny dick. And I, 
I don't know what I was thinking. I thought that oh. would be the end of it. Did you? I don't know what, what? I was, naive thought. But I got such Is a there rush. Why that's going to I end? got such yep, a rush from it. Did. And I went and did that show. And it yeah. was literally right before the show. The six o'clock news yeah. was on. I'm on next. And I felt great. But that's, Send, bang, dealt yeah. with. But that's what you were just talking about before. Where yeah. like this rush that we have to yes. hashtag cancel, cancel yeah. people. It comes from a real yeah. human emotion. And yeah. it does make you feel good. Yeah. Of course I understand why people do it and how it happens. Because yeah. there is a rush that comes from oh. it. And, and, and then the show finished. In the same rush that that guy was getting by saying, I'm yes. going to take your job. And oh, look, he's there. You were both doing it. He knew. Yeah. He, I've got him. Yeah. Oh, look, he's replying. I've got yeah. him now. I'm going for the kill. And he's called me a whiny dick. Yeah. I probably wasn't going to get a complaint to his boss, but now I've got this whiny dick thing. So I, I forget all about it. Yeah. Carry on with the show. Yeah. The boss goes, can we have a can we have a chat after the show in my office? And you know, but I'm thinking drop down head. No, I didn't. Think I was going to say, have you like have you clocked at this point? That no, that's what it's about. I'm thinking or? about everything that was said yeah. on air. I went, no, there's no, there's no way. I don't understand no. why I'm going. I go in, fine. and then my boss goes, whiny dick, and I went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. She goes, how long have you been in radio? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay. <laughs> you see what time it was set. <laughs> no, just that she goes, I think that you'll be most upset by the fact, not that you said that, but it had a couple of typos as well. I went, oh no. <laughs> I'm really upset about that. Yeah. I apologize. I'll Win- apologize for the typos. Yeah. Yeah. Winnie Duck, you called him. <laughs> so yeah, it's... Um, where were we? We were talking about, about evolving. And yeah. how you... So there you go. I, I, yes. You could try and be evolved, but you're mm. still going to be at the peril of your ego and that fragility sometimes, mm. aren't you, as a performer? And being human. Yeah, yeah there you go. And it's actually forgiveness to... of being a human. Yeah. I, I have been trying to be better at that. I don't yeah. always get it right. No. And it does depend on where you are in your day and yeah, your it life does. and those sort of things. Yeah. And, um, obviously the meditation hadn't stuck that day, Christian. <laughs> so Well anyone need to put some more anyone can be a nice guy when they meditate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what Buddha was like when he wasn't sat there like that, do we? I thought everyone was a whitey dude. <laughs> Famously. Meditate on that for Yet now. Another, the like, world is full of whiny dicks. of silence because they were all whiny dicks. That's what people didn't know. Actually hated people. It's like, can I get some quiet around here? So, um, yeah, but my, okay, my, how I do radio has yeah. changed massively Sorry, over the years. Sorry, I was going to quickly say this, that I, the other day I um, uh, had someone... I did this show. It was on Valentine's Day. Um, oh right! In Brunswick Heads, and yep. I at the Brunswick Heads P- Picture House. It's a beautiful theatre. Yeah, really nice. No other show there that night, so I can do however long I want. Yeah. you know. And uh, you're like Springsteen. I do sold, three hours. It sold out very early, and and earlier than the Saturday night, which you'd know is unusual. Normally Saturday mm. goes first. Yeah. And so I've clocked that it's Valentine's Day, and I've gone. Well, it's clearly sold out really quickly because it's Valentine's Day. But what I don't know at this point is: is it full of couples? Or is it full of singles? Oh, of course, because yeah. Has it sold out really quickly because there's a whole bunch of couples who are coming to the show as their Valentine's Day date? Am I... I don't want to talk to each other. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll remember they had a good night if I'm good. Yeah. Like, or is it a bunch of single people who are trying to do something fun while yeah. everybody's out as couples? Yeah, to hide from all the couples in restaurants. Anyway, so it ended up being one of those nights where it was mostly couples, yeah. which is the better comic yeah, thing. Yeah, definitely. Because then every couple you talk to, there's just so much on the line. Who Absolutely. bought the tickets? Yeah. Whose idea it was? Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. So 
It's honestly one of the most fun shows. Oh, I bet I've, I've ever done. Yeah, in my to life. play in that area when right. there's so much there. And we're, like you said about sharing a moment that no yeah. one will ever see again. Awesome. They know this is all about mm, just it's Valentine's. This show won't work tomorrow night. No, it's here in the room. Yeah. But there's this bit an hour in where, like, I have a joke about people on the Gold Coast, and it's about them not being the particularly the smartest people in the world, and it's a yeah. fine joke. It got a good laugh. But at that moment, I swear on my family's life, fourteen people come in the back and they say, "We're from the Gold Coast, and we're an hour late because uh, we got the time difference wrong coming across the border." <laughs> I'm like, well, you did not get the timing wrong on this entrance because this could not have come Amazing. at a better time. You need them to do that every night when you do that bit. But also 14 of them. Oh, 14 God. people. Well, I mean, not one the universe is blessing you with that. The life, life gives you sometimes the best punchlines. You don't need to... Right, so this is one of those shows yeah. that is... Like it's preserved now, isn't it? In amber, in I your, will remember always this remember show. that show, won't you? Yeah, yeah. you'll always have that. Every bit of it, I yeah. loved. Right? It was well, just, you could almost retire going. That's yeah. That's as good as it can ever it get. It was a really fun yeah. show. Yeah, and then the and next, the audience know walking out yeah. going, "Wow, yeah. we saw and something two, special." Went two hours. Next day on social media. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this woman's hit me up, and she's like, to her credit. She said that she really loved the show. Like, you know, so she said that first. Yeah, but... But you, then you, she said, but I was disappointed it was so much audience work and you didn't do all your climate change stuff. I'd heard that that was, you know, really strong. And I, in that moment, like, wanted to just go, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Hey, is anyone ever happy? It was yeah. one of the best shows yes. I've ever done. And you, oh. the next day, sent me a... Like, who are... What are you... And... If there are times in my life where I would have wanted to go, you whiny dick. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I stepped away from the computer and I just let it go and have only later brought it up on this podcast. <laughs> it's therapy for you. <laughs> yeah, so you I'm did not, well not to I'm react not and give in to that. But, no. but that's good. So you didn't reply and get angry. Did not reply. See, there you go. You're evolving. But that's I still have thought about it enough that I've brought it yeah. up to you. And I believe actually this is the second time I brought it up on a podcast. So You're still processing yeah. it. Didn't quite, haven't quite got to the Zen position of just letting it fly by. No, I don't think we ever will. You're still going to feel that sting, aren't you? Okay, talk to me about the idea now about what it is that you're working on. So if you're a work in progress, what are the things in your life that you are currently working on? Um, that's, yeah, that's a really big thing for me, actually, because um, when you move to the other side of the world... One thing I, I hadn't, um, I didn't really appreciate was how hard it would be to make your mates. Because the mate, your mates, sometimes you don't even know how you've got certain mates. They're just your mates, aren't you? I don't even know how I met you, but you're just there. And I had no idea what it'd be like. I just thought, yeah, well, I'll get some new mates. But when you're middle-aged, you don't have time for your own mates. Right, right, and people don't have any vacancies. Yeah. It's like they're not hiring. No. And there's a guy who turns out like, is he really going to be here that long? Radio show, mm. British guy on the radio. He, he's not going to be around. We're not going to allow room for him. So my daughter told me no one's listening. To <laughs> <his> show, so. <laughs> so yeah, I think there was a lot of when I first came out here. I realised God, I'm actually missing my mates. Mm. Just been to go and have a beer with someone or a glass of wine. And, and were you in communication with them? Were you like uh, no? I I, I, I did the, I did the thing. WhatsApp I found it too. Too painful to speak to them. I would feel it too acutely. So I did that really smart male thing of avoiding it, yeah. repressing it, oh, denying it, pushing it down, 
and it will probably come out as cancer in five years' time. Yeah. And that is a coping yeah. strategy for a lot of men. <laughs> oh, mate, it is. Though. But sadly, I'll make a joke. But it yeah. is true. And so that was so different. And that, after a while, didn't work. And so, mm. you know, it was... Oh, no, it seems so yeah. foolproof. I know. It's like, idea. oh, Christian, this seems yeah. like a foolproof system. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> you must share yeah, it. the first person yeah. that, didn't, that didn't work. I'm the well. Tony Robbins of denial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I'm really lonely. No, I'm not. No. Push it down. Who needs friends? Who needs yeah. friends? They bring it down. <laughs> exactly. Friends are for losers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I really miss, I really missed my friends. Especially when you go through a tough time, you want to just have that little hour or two with your mates, don't you? To go off and just talk about it. And yeah, sometimes it isn't even just talking about it; it's just hanging out with them, you know. And so I really miss that. So I think the thing for me was you should have moved in on. Like what you needed to do is identify a recently split up couple <laughs> where she got all the friends, and so suddenly you need. How all- am I gonna? Is there a dating app with men like yeah. that? Yeah, just like men who suddenly need a new friendship yes. group. Yeah, I need to be swiping. So you lost right your mates in the divorce. Yeah. You, you, so you, you're lonely. You just need a companion. <laughs> Would you? How do you feel about British accents? <laughs> 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 yeah, you're right. I don't know how I would find men who are vulnerable. <laughs> like speed dating. So it was down to my wife organising kind of like grown-up play dates. My wife makes friends really easily. Yeah. She could walk to the shop and she'd come back with three new phone numbers. And so I had to go through a process then. There was one awful moment where I started to go to the same hairdresser. And uh, we used to get on really well, and we swapped phone numbers. And one day he texted me, even going, "Listen, I'm meeting some mates for a, you know, a bottle of wine and some pizza. Would you like to come along?" And I was, I was, I was so touched. I said, like, "Oh, this feels great." I get there, second drink in, he goes, "Yeah, look, your wife told me that you're really lonely, and that it might be nice if I invited you out." And I felt crushed. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> I just, just, I don't think I've ever. Oh. I mean, how do you hold your head up high in that? Oh. You go from. Your mum made my mum invite you over to my party. <laughs> You're that kid. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm that kid. I'm 46, but I'm that kid. I've, I've achieved so much, and yet I've, I've achieved nothing. I'm still that kid. It, yeah. it, it, but it is confronting because yeah. you are in a new space, and as you say, you know, it's incredibly difficult to make new friends. Yeah, at, at our age. age. Men, men are anyway. You, you find it hard to. But so I, I, am, and so I am seeing someone at the moment. You are. He could, he could be the one. Yeah, you're hopeful. <laughs> hopeful. It's, yeah. it's early days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I don't. Old... I don't want to text them every yeah. day because it's coming on oh, too right. soon. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that was really really challenging. The other thing is learning. Oh, I, I oh, think. Okay. Hang on. What's happened? The old fuck fest is back. Still crazy and excited. I'll take them out for a walk after we're done. Uh, I bribed them again. Sorry, mate. Not more than that extravagant Kong. Yeah, exactly. They got got a second extravagant Kong. So let's see. Caviar on this one, is it? How long they can distract them for? Um, Let's get to the important questions because um, I uh, am aware of the fact that, you know, you know, you've got a teenage daughter. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Somewhere that you have to track. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, So... Uh, here's some standard questions I ask mm-hmm. on this podcast and please come back again another time because I've had a great Oh, thanks, time. Will. That means the world to me. And, Thank uh, you. I've it, loved it. It's been, oh, there's been so many more things that I would love to talk to you about, but, uh, um, you know, and plus, I, you know, your wife tells me that you're lonely. 
<laughs> I knew you were setting that up. I wasn't fooled by you being nice. <laughs> How dare you do shtick in an intimate moment? It's the best you time went for the gag. It, it is. It's it was the best right there. Time. It was... I'm not offended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think happens when we die? I think I do believe. Uh, I, I don't believe in afterlife, but I believe our spirit and soul does go somewhere. Mm, where do I you do. think it goes? I don't know, but I really, I love. Sometimes we've all experienced in times the mystery of the universe. Some people want to call that God or whatever it's. Uh, but there is. I love being aware and reminded of the unknown and the mystery of it, and just sometimes just feeling the mystery of it all and the unknown, the otherness is just wonderful. How, what a lovely thing to believe and feel sometimes and you can feel that that rapture in those little pure moments of bliss we find whatever it's for you and I stand up or a radio show but for other people it can be in, in, in other areas it might just sometimes in your bike I was freewheeling on my bike the other day and just the joy of freewheeling on a bike downhill you know where is that point where it's just starting to get out of control and you think oh I need to put the brakes on a minute and you're just trying to delay it and you're really alive in that moment aren't you that and so I think that yeah I'd I, like to believe that the our spirits and souls go on a journey somewhere else yeah i like it uh what do you think life is about like what it you know what why are we here what when you know if, why are you here what's well, the purpose of your life that's quite depressing <laughs> just, well, it doesn't have to what, be we, but we, the, everything is emphasis to... you still just went why are you here it felt aggressive that's what I told you why are you uh, here yeah, why in Australia you, in Australia yeah, people Show hate your accents <laughs> no one's losing you <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> it's just the way you asked it. Yeah. You know, rather than a, why are you here? It was a, why are you here? Oh, wow. um, why am I here? I have a certain interviewing style. Chris. Yes, it is. Very confrontational. <laughs> Not sure I like it. <laughs> fucking abrasive I thought, you said, I, mean, I thought you said you'd been working on it what was no, it like when you first started this you no e fight your guests there's no easy way <laughs> there's no easy way to ask somebody what you think you what here? they think the meaning of their life is it's how do you like I mean what do the you last, think of that then the last one because your ego wants to go I, I think he has been foreplay leading, leading to up to this, this yeah I mean I guess what do I think is my Purpose. Purpose. What do I think is my purpose? Your I, raison d'etre, your meaning to be. I think my reason, uh, one of them is that I'm very lucky and that I can um, I can make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And I think actually there could was have a... Brought, could have brought some of that to this today. He's done it again. I be intimate and it's like falling into a trap. Oh my God. You were really nice half an hour ago. I've been fired up by the Bring dog. Andy Lee back in I here. I think that I have got some of the dog's energy. <laughs> I've become a bit feisty at the end. Feisty. It feels like I've yeah. met four Wills no, in this true. chat. You're right. Who is that, this Will? That was about me. Yes, it was. Sorry, you Park just... yourself over yeah, there. No, that's a good point. I promise. <laughs> I promise. I promise. I promise, Dad. <laughs> no more. No more. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that now you've ruined an intimate moment, you know. Um, so what's the point of fucking answering it? No, <laughs> no, tell screw me you. What the... Move on to another one. These standard no, questions. Tell, tell me, no, what? No, I, I, indulge your ego for a moment, if you will. I what... guess you know, on a better day, mm. I can have a sense of what I do have an ability to do, mm. and come on the other side of the world and get into a place where you can do that again but in a different way and the does way it feel to you it's, like it's different here um 
I, I certainly as a comedian, when I first went to America and just went out on the road and started yeah. playing clubs, I still say to people it might be the most satisfying thing I ever mm. did in my life because it was the first time that I really truly felt like I was good at what I did. Yeah. Because up until it's then, exactly there was that. all those other reasons that yeah. you could say, well, people listen because of this or they watch because of and this. And if you've been doing they... it a while, you build up your audience, don't right. you, if you're lucky. And uh, yeah. and so you have a lot of goodwill. You, that will only last you a while. You still need to, to entertain them and do something, but you've got something hopefully banked over the years, a kind of deeper connection and, and friendship. When you go to the other side of work, you have none of that. And so you have to rely on something else. And it has really tested me. You know, even though I've been doing radio for a long time, it really tested me here. And I had to do it a bit differently. And that was good for me. I had to break out of something and evolve a different way of being on the radio. And that has been my belief. Even the, the small little handful of stand-up gigs here, you know, to pubs and maybe in front of 70 or 80 people. I remember doing 20 minutes, a 20-minute set in a pub. People still had their chicken sort of dish in front of them. Dave O'Neill's gig he does. Uh-huh. Grandview uh, Hotel? Yeah. yeah. And as soon as I got that, I felt that buzz. Like, oh, this is, what stand- this is where stand-up really is. Yeah. It's Chicken in these Palmer places. Dallas. Yeah, that's it. This is why I came to Australia. <laughs> Come to Australia. Who <laughs> says they've got no culture? <laughs> Guess you haven't done a gig at the Grandview. Or somebody's necking a chicken palmer. <laughs> um, but I remember just doing 20 minutes there. And it going really well. And I remember I couldn't sleep that night. I was so excited. And I was getting up to do a radio show the next day. But I was so ex- excited about making it, making people the other side of the world laugh. You're like, oh, wow, I can actually do it. Mm. You know, and you would have experienced that doing stand-up in the UK and America. And the same with doing radio here and having to, when the show did start to gel and they started to enjoy it. I, I took a photo out. I've still got it on my phone the first time all the 10 phone lines were going. So a couple of weeks into the show, and yeah. I was like, I think this will be okay. It's going to be tough for a while, but I, I think this is going to be okay. It, it, that was a real a mini moment for me. It was like a little, uh, along a, a a what had been a tough path, it was the first, like a little beacon going off, like that you're on the right path. It's hard, you're finding your own way, but yeah. So yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, we're lucky. I do feel a sense of a purpose. When you finish radio and you look back on your career, mm-hmm. What what will it be that you coming here, yeah, coming to Australia? Yeah, I I, I could almost get very emotional about it because um, I think something that in your life that really tests you, and when you grow through it, and you do, you feel humbled by it and overwhelmed by it. It does break you. You don't know a way out, and it gets really dark and scary. And you have to go in your, inside yourself, which we'd never really want to do. You always want to evade that, don't you? Those feelings of inadequacy or that you can't cope. You're being overwhelmed. You know, we try everything to avoid that in our lives. But I think when you do have no choice but to almost walk back towards your own vulnerability, that is the only way through it. That when I'm on my deathbed, I'll be eternally grateful I had the chance to come here and do this. And I hope my kids look back too at what it did for them because I can see already what it's given them and their self-reliance. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, that's the most important thing because people are, people are going to let you down. You know, as parents, we're going to let them down and their friends are going to let them down. They're going to let themselves down. But I can see already in the almost two years here what it has done for them. It's changed them as people. It's given them this incredible self-reliance. And so... What a lovely thing for them to have experienced in their lives and, you know, whether they go back and study in the UK a couple of years. But, yeah, for me, in terms of what I'd be most proud of, it would be, wow, you really put it on the line. We sold our house in the UK. We burned all these skate boats. It was all on this, you know. And at the time, that's why it was so uncomfortable. Whereas now, coming through it, you're like, 
God, wow, that was really, that really was something. Now, it's, I don't think I've ever been happier being on the radio. Um, and, and that's what a great thing to say after almost 22 years. That sense of joy at rediscovering the joy of doing a radio show. I think it had to come from starting again in a kind of way. Well, but not just coming to somewhere. I imagine that because when you do... Yeah, Hang on a minute, nice wheels back. Well, I said, I, I said, I promise. <laughs> there was right. two clear opportunities when you're being lovely and sincere there for me to say something horrible. And I yes, avoided, I, I feared I them. Do you know, so I was actually wouldn't even yeah. look at eye contact because yeah. I was scared of the no, abuse, you were being absolutely a tormentor lovely coming back. All I could think of was terrible jokes and I was like, you, told me you weren't going <laughs> to well, do it just again. think them in your head, okay? I did. Email me later what yeah, they yeah, were. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> it's like, fucking listen to this whiny dick. <laughs> <laughs> it was you that sent that email. <laughs> um, I... I was going to um, ask you the question about um, being embraced by somewhere as well, though, because you have an added thing, you know, which is that when you come into a town mm. like this to do breakfast radio, yeah. you become part of a section of the city's story of their day at work, you know? Yeah. Like, and then you become embraced by a section of the city, the yes. listeners of that radio show and that you become a part of their life and their yeah. world. And it's not like just going somewhere for a different job. You're going no. somewhere where you suddenly, you're not, you know, I mean, I, I think that you're probably to a lot of people, you're not that bloke from the UK anymore. You're that bloke from Melbourne that they listen yeah. to who tells you about Melbourne. I think they, they went from being outsiders to suddenly they relate to you through your stories and something about you for me. You know, I was open about the struggles being here and the kids at school. And I, I, I like to think they start to see me less as uh, as being English as to hopefully a human being and someone who is funny and light and they could connect to more on the personal level. And, and, and we met each other there. I never wanted to turn up and do that kind of thing. Hey, in Australia, you call it this and we say this. And yeah. I wanted to get straight into the material to actually talk about life and like you move to the other side of the world and trying to, trying to pull out what was very personal, but hopefully making it universal to them. That was my challenge. How do I make what I'm going through entertaining for them and for them to actually become a kind of friend of mine like where should I go this weekend I want to take my kids here and people want to help you out your friendly city so it was trying to disarm a bit of that uh, initial huge overwhelming hostility <laughs> um, I, uh, what, what's your greatest strength oh look at the way you sneered when I asked you that question I mean you should be able to I, so there's either two things going on. There's a level of self-loathing here that, you know... Or, it's healthy. Or, well, yeah, I mean. No, I would say it's taken me a long time to, be able to say this. I actually think actually what I used to struggle with was as someone who was quite a sensitive kid and... Um, I, 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 I try to toughen up and and the last couple of years has been undoing that and it's been the greatest thing that happened to me as well for my relationship with my kids and my wife is actually embracing that a bit more. And so I would actually say, yeah, I think if I'm really honest, I would say actually that vulnerability, which I used to hate about myself and didn't want, you know, literally I want to try and numb or cut out. I actually would say it's that, it's that sensitivity and vulnerability, which you can still use to be funny. But sometimes just speaking from that place, you don't need to be funny and it can create something really special in life. And for me on, 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 on the radio as well, that's been a really big learning for me coming here as well. What's, what's, what's the biggest weakness? 
Oh my word, Will. I, I am a real bully and no one can bully me more than me. I am very self-critical. Really? Oh yeah. Like how does that manifest itself? Just not very kind to myself. Yeah. If I am struggling or feeling a bit vulnerable or a bit anxious or a bit jittery, I will beat myself up saying, you know, you shouldn't be feeling this now. You should be stronger than this. So that is still my biggest, that is still my biggest weakness. I think if I spoke to myself, if I spoke to my um, wife like that, I'd have been divorced years ago. But I find it fine to talk to myself like that in the mirror. Well, it's harder to leave you. You. <laughs> to I've tried. You. I've tried so many times to divorce myself. Uh, if you could uh, take a strength from somebody else, and it can be any strength, it doesn't. It I think it'd be, be the rudeness of Will Anderson. Yeah, the, well, the off-the-cuff comedy of Will Anderson. Yeah. Oh no, you say comedy, I say rudeness. Yeah. Well, let's let the audience decide. Okay, vote Give now. Us a call. <laughs> now. In fact, I, I don't have a phone line, so call Christian <laughs> on this radio show and let him know. One way or the other. If I could borrow from somebody else, what a brilliant question. Mm. Who would who would it be for you? Oh, you can't turn it back on. No, we can. I'm buying time because it's a great question. Uh, That's brilliant. The other day, uh, I think what I said was, and I, I think I, I may have not framed it in the from somebody else. I think we were just talking about if you could have any skill, what would that skill be? And I, I landed on the fact that I would like to speak, uh, well, ideally I'd like to speak more than one language, but ideally I'd like to speak all languages. That would be my favourite thing to be able to do, is to be able to perform, speak and understand all people. That would be just the most brilliant thing in the world, I reckon. So... To understand them, what truly understand them, because language isn't the only way to understand somebody. No, but it helps. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting feisty again. <laughs> feisty wills back. <laughs> You're determined not to end this on a nice point. You pull me in and you push me away. Um, yeah, so what, what would it be? What strength, I, what, what uh, skill or strength or would you like to take from someone? Not I've, take from them, but would you like to have your... There, I've recently got into reading poetry. No idea why I just suddenly start to read poetry. Pamias, all the good stuff. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I deeply love that reference. I don't think that's like a dog whistle. I don't think there's any of our listeners that know who that is, but I do. That I will carry into the weekend and it will make me laugh. Pat, did you say Pam Ayers? That's the greatest reference of the year. I'm going to give you Australian of the year for that. Pam Ayers. I say poetry. You say Pam Ayers. Um, yeah, I have. I've recently gotten to reading poetry and there's a poet that I, 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 I really like. I must, have, I must have bought about five or six of his books called David White. I wish I had his lyrical ability because actually sometimes poetry disarms you mm. and it's a very it's more of a precise way of using words um, than we do. Um, sometimes we're not precise enough. We can kind of get there. Uh, whereas what a great poet can do is they, they really get there and it disarms you, it touches you. And I wish I had that. I aspire to have that ability with my words and creating that word magic rather just sort of stumbling and mumbling through a show. When people speak about you behind your back, what would you, not what are they saying, what would you, what would you be very pleased to hear that they say about you? When people speak that I work hard, that I care, and that I'm a kind person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is it. We've got to the end. There's one more question. Mm -hmm. It's the time machine question. I have All a time right. machine. Mm -hmm. I don't have a time machine, by the way. Mm -hmm. I feel the legal need to point that out. But <laughs> you know what it's like, terms and conditions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't actually won a car. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. We oh, lucky line nine. Uh, so... <laughs> um, 
I don't have a time machine, but mm -hmm. if I did have a time machine, here's what I'd be offering you: a one way, a, a one, a one return trip. Oh. So you get you get to go and you get to come back. You can go to a point in your life, mm -hmm. change or observe it, or you can go to a point in history and change and ob or observe it. But I, I prefer your own own life. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing the uh, the history thing. I'll go back to my own personal history. Yeah, great. Um, I would go back to. There was a moment your where... Your own country. Finally! Yeah. There we go. There we go. He's off again. Your own country. <laughs> racist Will. He wants to learn more language so he can be racist in their mother tongue. <laughs> He's a multilingual racist. <laughs> Please make that a show. I know it doesn't have Will in the title, but the multilingual racist. That's who you aspire to be. <laughs> I'm trying to if learn. Donald Trump dreams of being able to speak Spanish to insult Mexicans in I'm their native trying tongue, trying to learn trying. every language in the world. Why? Because I'm really racist, and I'd like to be able to. Can't be bear the thought of them not understanding me in their mother tongue. <laughs> uh, time machine. I go back to there's a, there's a photo I've got where I'm crammed into this little teepee, and my kids aren't teenagers; they're a lot younger, and we're having one of those imaginary tea parties mm. and at the time ayahuasca ceremony yes that's right yeah. <laughs> so i got them into it very young before it was big you know i took them on a journey <laughs> we transcended the ego at the age of eight <laughs> it's the best time to do it <laughs> cosmic time traveler at eight my drugs hell at eight <laughs> And we're in this little teepee they used to have, and they used to, to suspend ages with these imaginary sort of running tea shops. And I remember at the time after a while thinking, surely we're done with this. My back's hurting, you know, and I see a photo of me crammed into this little teepee and they're just, they're just in the moment. They're, they're as happy as shit. And in that moment I was, and, but I know after a while, you know, you never know in life. Life is full of, right? First and last, isn't it? Sometimes it's the first time we're going to do right. something. And you never know sometimes when it's going to be the last time. But I remember that photo was pretty near, if not the last time we ever did that. And after a while, they just didn't want to do it again. They got older. They felt right. self-conscious. But I would go back to that moment to appreciate this will be the last time I get to do this. You know, soon they'll be teenagers and that part of them is, is gone. They're on a different journey now and good for them. But I'd go back to that, Will, actually. And I just appreciate it a bit more knowing it was the last time. I'd go back to that imaginary cup of tea that I took for granted at the time. I'd go back to that. That imaginary turmeric latte. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're just saying to them, in the oh, photo, you're delicious. saying, is this imaginary tea any good for inflammation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About as much as real <laughs> turmeric tea. <laughs> it's a placebo effect. <laughs> um, mate, this has been an absolute pleasure. What a great, um, fun way to get to know each other. This is Yeah, I really, I mean, I've really, really liked it. I was very nervous mm. coming on because... Oh, really? Yeah, because I, I really enjoyed this podcast and what you do on your podcast. And I sometimes the worst thing you can do is appear on something mm. if you're a fan yeah. just leave it alone you went yeah <laughs> glad you got it <laughs> yeah, no, no. be under no illusions when you walk out this door you yeah. fucking ruined the show <laughs> worst thing you did was step in that door um, no I, I've, I've, I've deeply enjoyed it I think you're doing great work I think it's very interesting I've always been a fan of what you've done but I love how what you're doing with I don't like the phrase podcasting because I think it's, it limits it, it does it's, it's terrible it's a horrible word we haven't yeah. got a better word so I'm going to no. use that but I love like what your your journey and what that's opening up, I find actually quite inspirational, and I think it'd be very interesting what happens 
podcasting, let's just still call it that, over the next couple of years, I think is only going to get bigger. And for people like you and I that are free wills and enjoy talking, I think it's a really interesting area. And also years ago, you had to ask someone's permission to go and speak on a radio station. Right. And they would assess whether or not you were the right kind of person. I love that actually those barriers aren't there anymore. There's something a very open and accessible about that anyone can do what we're doing and I think wouldn't that be interesting to find free talkers actual genuine free talkers are in short supply on the traditional media outlets and I think this space that you're you're kind of a little a little pioneer I think is kind of interesting what you're doing so it's been an honor to to come and be in your world for a bit I've loved it uh, me too mate thank I you have, very much I really have and I, I know what I'm going to get you for birthday this year as well <laughs> Turmeric latte. <laughs> <laughs>